0: The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network.
1: Jeremy Norman here with the young boy, Josh Smith. Before we get started with today's episode of Keeping It Strong Style, just wanted to talk about James Harris, who is best known as Kamala to wrestling fans, passed away a couple days ago. And just, uh, you know, we did, I didn't want this to get kind of buried towards the end of the show, so I just wanted to... Um, Let's talk about Kamala real quick. Um, You know, he tested positive uh, for COVID, um, possibly contracted when he was uh, getting um, some dialysis uh, testing for dialysis center from one of his numerous visits and um, seemed to be fine at first, but then ended up having cardiac arrest and passing away um, that afternoon. Um, Definitely a sad story there.
2: Yeah, uh, really, you know, disheartening to hear, you know, about the, uh, passing of Kamala. Um, I guess you know over the past like decade, there have been quite a few health concerns with him. I remember like when heart disease and uh, diabetes kind of became a uh, big issue for him, and then you know when the news broke uh, that he was having to have you know his uh, legs amputated, uh, that was something that was like definitely concerning. Um, there's been over the past couple years actually, there's been some stuff on YouTube with him kind of like speaking introspectively about his career and his experiences things of that nature and uh, kind of seems uh, you know pretty appropriate uh, now given the timing of his passing and um, yeah uh, it's really unfortunate I, I for whatever reason you know we, we see we have deaths in wrestling all the time but uh I don't know man like it sucks to hear that Kamala died because like to me Kamala is like this mythical kind of like I don't want to say creature like in a derogatory <laughs> way, but like a no, like, like,
1: yeah, like just, a monster. Right. Like just, he can't die. Right. It's just the aura of that that character he was playing, you know. There was very little people that got offense in on Kamala or people that he would sell for and he was just kind of almost on at at the time, almost on that Undertaker level of like, all right, you know, it's just a kind of mythical, kind of like you don't really it's a mystery, you don't really know about this guy, you know, he's acting like a savage, he's out here slapping his belly and like not speaking English, like it's just something, something that's totally different.
2: Yeah, and you know, and Kamala leaves behind uh, just an incredible legacy. I mean, a lot of really notable things in his career. Uh, his interactions with Andre are very like storied, and uh, to the point where they had like issues with with each other in you know wrestling matches. And like he's one of the few guys that like there are stories about Andre not wanting to cooperate with him, and him not wanting to cooperate with Andre, and them getting into like a shoot fight and. Kamala, like, literally keeping a gun in his boots while they wrestled
0: <laughs>
2: in case, like, uh, Andre tried to shoot, you know? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, Kamala, like you said, was a commanding figure. Uh, he's kind of one of these guys that was, like, from a bygone era of the to- territory system where he was a, a star-traveling attraction. I mean, literally, you go on the WWE Network, you could probably find him in almost every single one of their different sections, whether it be... You know, superstars, whether it be old school, whether it be world class, or you go to Jim Crockett, you know, go to (laughs) Hidden Gems. Like, you're going to find stuff with with Kamala all over the network because he literally was all over the country, you know, portraying the uh, Ugandan headhunter, you know, Kamala, Ugandan giant.
1: Yeah, you know, I'll always remember, you know, as a little kid watching wrestling and seeing Kamala coming out and just, you know, being like, what is up with this guy? There's something... You know off with this guy And just you know all the matches And you know it's just his unique mannerisms And just how he interacted with other wrestlers And I always remember Like the, the matches with Undertaker Like finally seeing somebody like take him off his feet And just kind of how he was scared of the Undertaker And just all that kind of cool stuff like that So,
2: Yeah I actually um He was kind of what most people Would consider past his prime by the time The Undertaker match took place in 92 Uh What is that Survivor Series I think so yeah Uh, or maybe SummerSlam. I don't know. It's one of those, but, uh, they had a, uh, the first ever coffin match, which was like a precursor to the casket match. The difference here was you had to pin your opponent. And then once they were pinned, get them in the coffin and then hammer it shut, uh, which are kind of convoluted rules. But, um, some of the best work in Kamala's career, just like the facials and the selling. And it, it's one of those matches that like, are very, it's very divisive because a lot of people watch it and think the match actually sucks. But like I watch it and I'm like, this is wrestling. <laughs> 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 uh, just the character work and the aura of those two guys and Kamala being afraid of the undertaker and being afraid of the casket and everything. It's just, uh, I, I love that stuff. But, um, you know, you look back, and I mean, the big thing with Kamala was, like, he's one of these giants, one of these monsters uh, that would come into a territory, and he would feud with the top guys, so, I mean, no matter where you were at, whether it was, like, the Von Erics in Texas, uh, you know, Jerry Lawler in freaking Memphis. Game in Memphis. Yeah.
1: huh? Yeah, in Memphis, yeah. Um,
2: you know, pretty much anywhere you go, he, he was in Puerto Rico, wrestled Carlos Colon, he was in Japan, wrestled for All Japan, periodically. Uh, the highlight of His career is probably the stuff he did in the uh, early to mid-80s. Actually, I think it's like 86-ish, maybe 87. When he feuded with Hogan over the WWF title, um, they've actually got a pretty pretty memorable Boston Garden match on the network between the two of them. I remember seeing that a few years ago, and Hogan blades and uh, bleeds pretty. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know he used to blade a lot, but it's it's a more memorable blade job. It's kind of why I remember the match. But um, yeah, man, I mean, Kamala was... You know, really great. And then even when he was in semi retirement, there's a match that you can find online him and Brian Danielson wrestling for the ROH title in like 06. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, Kamala, uh, just a freaking legend. Oh, I I love his stuff with uh, Magnum TA from uh, Jim Crockett. I remember being a little kid seeing that on uh, VHS and just thinking, like, Dude <laughs> like how How is Magnum Zia going to beat Kamala It's impossible
1: <laughs> Right and that was kind of like you know the gem Of that territory system where you know, you bring A monster into the territory Beat some guys up you build them up to face your top Guy top guy beats him and he moves on to the Next territory and, you know we really don't have that Kind of system today and so you know, a, a character like uh, Kamala really Thrived in that territory system
2: they even – um I remember he was gone for a long time out of the WWE system, and they really didn't – he wasn't one of these guys that they brought back in periodically. But like the last couple appearances he did with them, they brought him back for a SmackDown to wrestle Orton during the Legend Killer uh, phase, which was like pretty memorable. Yeah. And then they brought him back to wrestle Umaga in 06.
0: Oh, yeah, I remember Raw. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, thoughts and prayers go out to the friends and family of Kamala. Uh, You know, he will be missed. What's up, everybody?
0: This is Young Lion King Carl Frederick, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style.
1: Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcast, keeping it strong style. Covering new Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barry the Frogs. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. On today's show, we'll be discussing the first round of the New Japan Cup USA, the Never Six Man Tournament, answering your questions and covering all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network or to Keeping It Strong Style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Preston Tea store, mm-hmm. com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your Family Jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SUPLEX at Manscaped.com That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com and use our promo code SUPLEX. Young boy, how you doing, man?
2: I am doing fantastic. You are listening to Keeping It Strong Style. You know what that means? It means you are a bright wonderful, intelligent, well-informed pro head because only the diehards listen to this show and only the well-informed and that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to inform you guys we're gonna give you our hot takes. We're going to push buttons. We're going to push boundaries. We're going to bury evil. We're going to do all that shit. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, it's definitely going to be a very informative show. We have tons of matches to talk about, tons of news, tons of storylines.
2: We we don't talk about matches. We talk about moments on this show, uh, sir.
1: Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fuck
2: a spreadsheet.
1: <laughs> yeah, who, who who needs good matches when you can have moments?
2: Yeah, who needs who needs to uh, appeal to all of the ratings of the wrestling fans across the. Uh, you know, internet. <laughs> Fuck that. It's about moments. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh we got uh some plenty of moments to talk about from this past weekend, so uh, we're gonna dive right into it You know, we had a lot of shows that we watched this past weekend And we watched them all using the NJPW EXT The only browser extension for NJPWworld.com With features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts Custom and shared playlists, synchronizing parties, and much, much more It takes NJPW World to the next level You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details And make sure you follow uh, Danny on Twitter um, you never know when he's going to throw a link for a viewing party He had a viewing party on Friday For the New Japan Cup USA The first round Which we're going to uh, jump into right now And so
2: Yo how about this Danny uh, How about we do a keeping a strong style uh, Authorized viewing party one of these days Just throwing it out there
1: Sounds good to me Yeah we can promote it Get all, get all listeners in there uh, Download the extensions Get on there Watching some good old New Japan
2: but but we're going to
1: charge <laughs> we're going to charge 50 bucks. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, that it's not 50 bucks, Jeremy. It's $50 annual. That breaks down to what? Divide that by 12, it's like nothing. Right. I mean, yeah,
1: we're we're going to we we'll charge $50 annual to do have viewing parties with us. We'll
2: have we'll have classes about social media etiquette uh, hosted by me. Um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh man you know one thing i want to ask you uh we didn't even approach it with the whole thing with the kamala is it wrong that we like him given that it's such a racially stereotyped uh character or we just let it kind of slide because it's like of of the era
1: (laughs) yeah it's one of those tricky things i mean it's definitely a a gimmick that wouldn't fly today but i just think it was kind of one of those things as a part of that era and Yes, it was a a very racist, problematic gimmick, but at the same time, like you mentioned, he was pushed heavily pretty much in every territory. He went in, uh, you know, featured strongly. He was considered a star. Um, It was
2: racist, but he got the bag.
1: Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He got that payday. Nice, man. So uh, let's talk about uh, New Japan Cup USA, the first round. This was the debut episode of New Japan Strong, which is now a weekly show airing on New Japan World every Friday. And uh, so we kicked off here. So it was in the Ocean View Pavilion uh, Center here in California, and that's where they've been filming these uh, NJPW Strong shows. And we had Alex Kozloff returning to New Japan on commentary um, That's gonna...
2: only because we got the call initially, but we didn't think it was socially responsible to get out to California. Uh, the timelines wouldn't work. After like two weeks of quarantining, they needed us on short notice, so uh, they went with their second choice and you know went with Alex. But we were going to be in there. It was going to be three man booth, us and Kevin. <laughs> uh,
1: and we had a question from a Kevin, Kevin from DC. He says, do you see potential in Alex Kozlov as a color commentator? I'm happy he's back in a wrestling capacity if that's what he wants to do, but it seemed like he had nerves, and his responses to Kevin Kelly's weren't always as quick as the likes of Gina or Rocky. I guess this is more of a wait-and-see situation, but I just wanted to get your opinions on the man's performance from New Japan Strong.
2: Uh, you know, and I've said this on the show many times in the past, I'm not really the commentary guy like other people, so as long as something's passable, I really don't care. <laughs> like, you know, I've got like a barometer. You're either really great, and it's the small niche. Everything in between is just the same. Like whether like it, it could be pretty bad or pretty good. It's all gonna be pretty much the same. And then at the very bottom, it's like the shits, and that's where you put in like uh, Lanny Poffo and something like that.
1: Yeah, you know, Mike Adamly. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: unless you're really bad or really great, uh, it's all pretty much the same to me. I didn't notice anything about Alex Kozlov. I thought he was fine. I don't really have any good critiques. I know that's not sexy to say that, but uh, I saw people on both sides. I saw people online saying that they thought he did a really good job, and I saw people saying that they thought that, uh, you know, he has room to improve, so I don't really know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, like, I, overall, I like his commentary. I agree with uh, Kevin some the here. There were some spots where it did seem like he might have been a little bit nervous or not quite sure how to respond To Kevin's uh, comments or he might have been You know laid low a little bit too long but Overall for somebody to my knowledge I don't think Kozlov has any experience Commentating and if he does it's probably on A smaller level I think for You know first time being kind of thrown in there I thought he did a pretty good job and you know Kevin is such a great professional And he's you know teamed up with so many different People and has a responsibility Of kind of you know guiding people along A lot of times and You know we saw him with um you know, with like guys like Mavs Gillis and uh, Caprice Coleman, where there are guys you might not have been familiar with, or maybe they don't have that that experience calling New Japan, and Kevin kind of guides them and leads them to a great show. And so I thought Kevin did a great job, uh, kind of guiding uh, Kozlov here.
2: I I like Mavs. I know Mavs is listening too. What's up, Mavs? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I like Mavs Gillis. Um, yeah, man. I don't know. I it, I thought that the product overall came off really well. And so that's probably a testament to Alex Kozlov. I I don't, like I said, I don't have a lot to say, but uh, I thought it it felt like a New Japan show. I mean, he wasn't any worse than, say, Trent or Dustin or Fale. (laughs) 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 So it's fine, you know?
1: Yeah, I thought it was good. I I think he'll be a good addition. And, you know, he kind of brings that in-ring experience. He can kind of commentate. On the moves and exactly what they're doing in there with a little bit more detail. So I think over time. I miss,
2: I miss Josh Barnett.
1: Yeah, Josh Barnett was really good.
2: Yeah.
1: So, uh, New Japan Strong, before we break into the matches, overall, what do you just think about this this show, the presentation, and how it kind of went down? <sighs>
2: yeah, so, you know, it's the first night, you know, New Japan Strong, 10, 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern rolls around, and I'm on the website. I'm trying to get it to play, and I'm like, where, you know, when is this thing going to pop up? Like, 1001 shows up, and I'm like, it's still not here, and I start freaking out, and then suddenly it showed up as a selection, so apologize for that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I started playing it, and um, I kind of expected this to be similar in look and presentation to Lines Break Collision um, Project USA or whatever. I don't even know what the name of that show is, you notice I messed up every time. I always call like, <laughs> Lions Break Project Colli- Collision USA.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I think it was said, Li- like, Lions Break Collision.
2: Yeah, like, I don't know what it is, so I would just say, like, eight things, and which because they all sound kind of right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I kind of expected it to be more of the same, and what I noticed right away was uh, New Japan Strong came in with a strong showing. They had incredible graphics, incredible... Uh, you know, VTRs and videos and opening sequences. I mean, it looked like a a major league professional wrestling company, more so than I would say even like Ring of Honor or MLW or even like Impact. Uh, And that's not just bias. That's honest. Like, it had a really cool opening uh, montage. And then um, the set was the same set that they used previously, except they beefed up the lights. They beefed up the, you know, just the overall aura and look of it. It looked like, an actual New Japan, you know, set. And then the ring was the real dojo ring, uh, 20 by 20 If you notice the, the one that they were using previously with the other canvas, that's got to be... It was definitely smaller. It, could, it I don't think it was 16, but it was at least an 18-foot ring, which makes a big difference. Um, so they're using the authentic New Japan ring. I think it's the same one that they did, like, the LA shows in the past, like, you know, the ones with, like, Omega... And uh, like Cody and San Francisco and all that stuff. So it just felt and looked and sounded like I was watching real New Japan and not a produce show, which even if the action wasn't necessarily that, the, the presentation was so much so that I like was like, man, I'm watching New Japan for real now, which I, I loved.
1: Yeah, man, absolutely agree with you. Presentation was great, graphics are great, music the 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 VTRs are great. I even love the touch of having you know Japanese ring announcing for when the guys uh, came out. That definitely you know kind of added to that feel. Like, all right, I'm watching a New Japan show, and it, it took the presentation of Lions Break Collision and you know bumped it up a next a next level. You know, Lions Break Collision was cool, but you know it was mainly around rolling around the young lions and some other guys outside of new japan but now we're getting more of the main roster from new japan we're bumping it up making it you know high quality product and you know i think new japan strong is going to have a, a strong run and possibly being one of the best wrestling tv shows of the year
2: yeah i completely agree with that um nothing more to add i didn't notice that they were doing the japanese ring and uh ring announcing but now that you mention it i guess they did and that's also a nice touch. So. Uh, It just felt authentic, which is what you want when you slap that mark logo on there and, you know, that name, you know. uh, That's what you want. You want something that's authentically New Japan Pro Wrestling, and that's what we got, which – not to, uh, you know, talk bad about the collision show. The collision show is great, but this is even better, which I like.
1: Yeah. So let's uh, talk about these matches. So we had four first-round matches in the New Japan Cup USA kick the show off with the returning Kenta defeating the Alpha Wolf, Carl Fredericks, nine minutes and 59 seconds. So what do you think about this opening matchup here?
2: It reminded me of a very, and this, I don't mean this derogatorily, I'll explain myself. This reminded me of what happens when I turn on a Road 2 show and I get a match like the one we got earlier this week with like a Nagata against Gabriel Kidd. You know, you start the show off, and you get Nagata versus Gabriel Kidd, and you're like, oh, shit. That's going <laughs> to be good, you know? Yeah. That's sort of what this was like because there's been so many tournaments and so many announcements and so many cards. I'm kind of just like taking each show one by one, you know? And so I'm not really focused on any particular matches or have anything circled like I normally would because we, we got five shows in four days. Like that's kind of crazy. Yeah. So that's not normal. So when I turned this on and then I realized, I already knew it, but when once I realized, oh, we're getting Carl Fredericks against Kenta, like now, I was like, oh shit, that's going to be good. <laughs> and so it reminded me of how I felt with Young Lions. The only thing is like Carl Fredericks is not a Young Lion anymore. He's far from it, but it still sort of has some of that same energy. So it's like the next level above that. So it's even better. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And it's like, Last week, we were kind of speculating who's going to win these matches, and I'm like, oh, well, we're about to find out right now, which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, and, you know, overall, uh, I really love this match. It was very hard-hitting. I mean, Kenta was just kicking and chopping the crap out of Carl Fredericks, and like you said, definitely had that kind of young lion versus veteran vibe. You know, Carl Fredericks coming here very confident off of his run from Lionsburg Collision and graduating and becoming the alpha wolf, and, you you know, Kenta's been off this whole time and, um, you know, coming in, obviously, with a lot of swagger that he has. And, um, you know, maybe kind of over underestimated uh, Carl in the beginning, but once he kind of, you know, realized that Carl w- wasn't coming to play, he turned it up and we saw, you know, the Kenta of old where he's striking the crap out of this guy and just brutalizing him.
2: That was not the Kenta of old. I'd never seen any version of Kenta that looked like this Kenta that we got.
1: Well, not talking about the hair. I'm just talking about like the, the strikes <laughs> and just how kind of uh, you know aggressive he was with uh, Fredericks.
2: You want to talk about the the wrestling match, which I do want to discuss, but I want to talk about the looks of these two guys. Last time we saw Carl Fredericks, uh, man looked different. Like he kind of had like a faux, like a faux, like mullet, but it was sort of a mo mullet, like a mohawk into a mullet. It, it kind of looked weird, and um, you know, I liked, we were talking about his gear. I was like, ah, you know, his gear's cool, but there's some things just not coming all together. And then, man, got a haircut, trimmed it up, got faded, got faded right. And I was like, okay, this guy looks like a million bucks. This is the Carl Fredericks that I remember. And then Kenta came out with his fucking COVID hair. <laughs> <laughs> man, looking like me, like he hasn't had a haircut in, you know, Many moons, uh, with the craziest freaking like I don't even I'm not even a hair guy, but like he had these bleached tips, like he looked like a boy band member from like circa two thousand two, like
1: yeah, we we uh, had some questions about the hair. Uh Reddit user Agent wallaby says, What are your thoughts on this new bad boy, Heido Cross J pop star looking ass Kenta with the hair? I want to hate it, but I also want to admire it.
2: <laughs> uh, Jamie in our group chat, shout out to Jamie, he was saying, like, the, the one thing he needed to complete this look was, like, a puka shell necklace, and, like, he'd be, like, looking right. And then someone edited in a puka shell necklace, and I gotta say, it, he was actually accurate. It looked like it fit perfectly. This man's been on the <laughs> beach or something. Um, looks like a beach bum. I don't know, man. i never seen cats that look like this.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know what to make of the hair either. I'm, I'm kind of in Agent Walby's kind of position where it's like, you know, I like the You know, short, spiked up hair, Kenta, I like that look, but I don't know, there's there's something about this look, you know, he has that kind of, you know, that attitude of kind of like, I don't, almost similar to Jado, the I don't care kind of attitude and kind of wants booze, and so I kind of feel like it works for being a heel.
2: When you say he wants booze, do you mean like liquid spirits or he wants people to jeer him?
1: He wants people to jeer him. Boo this man.
2: Because oh. <laughs> uh, I was like, he's trying to get booze. He's in Florida. He's in luck. <laughs> like, There's a lot of places where he can do that. Um, yeah, I didn't think the hair looked good. Uh, this this look would not fly in Triple H's pro wrestling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, so regardless of the look, this man came out, and it's kind of uh, easy to forget just how like violent Kenta can be, and... Holy crap, did he lay into the strikes when it came to uh Carl Fredericks? I mean, those mid kicks and those chops were just so freaking vicious and then uh there was one point he hit uh Fredericks with an incredible lariat and the sell that Carl did where he flipped completely like 360 onto his like stomach bump, like I I loved it. Um I didn't think this match was a classic or anything of that nature. But it was one of the better matches. It was a great opener for the history of the show. Um, I think it will actually be a historically important match provided, you know, Fredericks delivers on his career the way that it looks like they're, you know, trying to set him up to do. Um, But it was a good opener. It was a good, solid match. It was very hard-hitting, very violent. Um, Kenta, you know, obviously beat Fredericks. Uh, I think last week I kind of was like, I wasn't sure which way they're going, so I was like, "Yeah, Frederick, fuck it. Like, let's just uh, let's put the title on Frederick's. <laughs> 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 let's have him go through three killers back to back to back before he gets to uh, fight John Moxley." So uh, they decided uh, that my booking decision was not the right way to go. <laughs> they went with the tested and trued uh, Kenta, and uh, yeah, man, it was it was good stuff.
1: Yeah, I really enjoy this match. Like you mentioned, it's a great way to kick off this NJPW Strong series with a strong match like this. With, um, and, yeah, it definitely brought that strong style to this show and giving it, you know, backing that name up. Uh, so, yeah, it was a great way to kick off the show.
2: Yeah, I'm glad the name of the show is strong. I know I made fun of it a few weeks ago. That's just another adjective. But, like... I'm tired of, like, not knowing what the name of the show is and calling it Lionsgate Project Collision <laughs> USA. Like, I, it's just strong. Like, yo, Friday night, you watch it strong? I like that. So it's better than fucking Dynamite or Dark.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> So yeah, you mentioned, yeah, Kenta taking Fredericks out with that huge lariat, and then eventually he gets him up for the GTS to go to sleep. He puts the Alpha Wolf to sleep and gets a win and moves on to the next round. We did have a couple more questions about this match um, from.
2: But we're going to skip them and move on.
1: <laughs>
2: no, no, I'm just playing.
1: <laughs> uh, Reddit user uh, DunDiesel86 says, I got to say, I'm really digging Kenta's hair. Looks like he took the day off from surfing <laughs> with Knock to beat up Carl Fredericks. I feel like a lot of people have him slayed to win this cup. If he does, and by some miracle, Mox is able to defend. What do you think a match between the the two looks like? I think these two big names could draw some serious attention to Strong. Also, if you had to recommend any match of Kenta's before his run in NXT, which match would it be? Thanks for all the great content, fellas. Keep up the good work.
2: Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, I totally agree that there's sort of like a surfer aesthetic when it comes to Kenta. Um, Yeah, 100%. Um, as far as the other portion of what he was kind of discussing there, when you look at the layout, we, we talked last week about people we could potentially see win this tournament, you know, and there's quite a few names were like, yes, no, yes, no. He was definitely one of the heavy favorites. But when you kind of consider hypothetically, if the winner of this tournament does eventually fight John Moxley specifically for the title, then there probably is no more marketable guy for him to fight in this tournament than Kenta. Is is there anyone else that you think is a better money make on paper, better money making match than Kenta John
1: Moxley? No, I think that's that's the best match, and that's kind of why I predicted Kenta win this whole thing. Because you look, you know, especially if you're facing John Moxley, like you know, you got to make it worth you know, Moxley's time and it's got to be a big, you know, I know there's no audience, but a big, you know, quote unquote drawing, you know, we're drawing eyeballs for right now, a, a match that's going to generate buzz. And I think a Kenta Moxley match would do that.
2: Yeah. And that's a big if that's, you know, I don't think the match with Moxley is for sure a given. Um, I listened to Rocky Romero on the uh Wrestling Observer Live this past week, and he had some interesting uh, statements that I'd like to discuss later on in the show, but uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later on uh, in this review. But yeah, absolutely. I think he's one of the guys that makes the most sense if, in fact, that's what your aim is, is to set up a marketable match for John Moxley. He's the guy. Um, as far as a Kenta match that I could recommend, I mean, there's a lot i think probably the he they've had so many matches with one another but the very famous match with him and mara i think from 06 is probably like the highest recommendation i could probably give
1: yeah for me uh i thought about you know all of his matches that he had with uh daniel bryan in ring of honor there was one really great one uh death
2: before dishonor
1: yeah that pay per view him, him and uh Brian danielson that was a banger
2: Uh, let me just kind of look here and see. Um, yeah, so actually both of the, both the matches that we recommended are from 06. I'm looking at cage match and, uh, the Danielson matches, I'm sorry, glory by honor five. That's the one you're mentioning. That's his highest rated match on cage match. Uh, no, actually the Marafuji match is tied. They're both at 9.6, which are both very high ratings uh, this one's from Autumn Nav- Navigation Tour in 06. Kenta versus Naomichi Marafuji. Um, yeah, both very, very, very highly rated. I mean, there's quite a few other ones, but, like, those are probably... If you're just going to go for a super high-end stuff, those are the top two, I'd say.
1: Yep. Yeah, check it out. Um, and then last question here about this uh, matchup. Uh, Kevin from DC he says, I know Corona is affecting everyone differently. But that being said, when did Kento Miyahara sign for New Japan, sneak his way into the New Japan Cup USA tournament? I'm looking at you, Kenta. That flow is not working for me. That sound is not looking so spicy. Not looking too spicy.
2: His look kind of, in a way, reminded me more of, like, uh, Katsuhiko Nakajima than it did Marafuji, But Or, no, he said uh, Miyahara.
1: Miyahara, yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, so moving on to the next matchup here, we have Jeff Cobb defeating Tangaloa, 8 minutes and 45 seconds with Tour of the Islands.
2: Yeah, I uh, recently met Tangaloa a few weeks ago uh, at an undisclosed wrestling event that I was a part of, and a uh, nice guy. Um, this match, I would say uh, I, I, it was good, it was okay, like, but it didn't blow me away or anything of that nature. Like, I thought it was... Um, I don't know if I, which one I liked the least, whether it was this one or the, um, the next match we're going to talk about with, uh, God, why am I forgetting Chase Owens and, um, Dave Finley, but I would put both of them probably on the same like level. They, they were not terrible, but they weren't great. They were just kind of like there, uh, and they're fine, I guess, for opening round matches.
1: Yeah, I think we can kind of just lump them together because nothing really, you no. Know... Impactful really happened in either of those matches So the following match with David Finley Defeating Chase Owens Nine minutes and 46 seconds so Like you mentioned To me they were kind of you know gentlemen Three matches to some really right. Solid matches you know Nothing spectacular Nothing out of this world um, thought- some,
2: some things I I will com- Commend the guys on I thought Chase Owens Was in some of the best shape that I've seen him Be in for- In literally years, um, maybe three or four years, like he has lost a lot of weight. And we've been talking on the show for a while how like he's such a great worker, but he's someone who needs to improve his look. And he's definitely taken steps to do that. Um, Same thing. You know what? Same thing with um, Dave Finley. Yeah, Dave Finley looks great. Yeah. Same thing with Tangaloa. Uh, I I don't know if I could say the same thing about Jeff Cobb, but I mean, Jeff Cobb is Jeff Cobb. So, I mean, it it works for him one way or the other, but uh I thought everyone looked good, Um, you know, given the fact that all these guys were coming in off of not having wrestled literally in four, five months. I thought they all seemed to, you know, put in pretty good showings, but the matches weren't anything like blow away. These were kind of just fine filler matches in the first round of the
0: tournament.
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought Tangelo, I mean, he looked fine. You know, we really don't see him that often in singles matches, so... You know, obviously this was an eight-minute match And obviously this match was really designed to, you know Get Cobb over and move him to the next round So, yeah, I thought that was fun And, you know, we've you know sang, you know, Chase Owens praises for a long time on this show And I thought, you know, he did have a lot of good kind of transitions And uh, different um, holes that he was doing in that matchup But overall, once again, nice little nine-minute match To uh, get David Finley over And nothing too special there So, two, two fine matches there So, let's
2: move on um, Well, At this point in the tournament, we've got Kenta uh, slotted to go up against Jeff Cobb in the second round. And then uh, we had Dave Finley win leading into the final match of the night, which was um, Tamatonga of the Bullet Club and G.O.D. taking on uh, Ring of Honor's uh, Brody King. And is Brody King still a member of Villain Enterprises? I don't think he is, right? He's
1: not. He released a video on Twitter a few weeks ago. Talking about, um, you know, he's tired of being in the shadow and, you know, he's, um, I forget the adverbiage he used, but pretty much he pretty much kind of made it clear in a way that he wasn't, you know, under anybody anymore. and He's just on his own. He's all, all for violence. I'm
2: not tied to anybody that has done anything that's less than, you know, savory <laughs> or favorable. <laughs> I would like to distance myself from certain parties in the future <laughs> going forward, <laughs> for the betterment of my career. <laughs> so I'm no longer part of any sort of affiliations or clubs or enterprises going forward.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, uh, that was kind of the gist gist of the video. Uh, but it was, you know, kind nice. of in in character, and you know, you know, pushing this new kind of violence gimmick that he's going to be doing when when Ring of Honor returns.
2: Well, uh, this was definitely a matchup where. Can I take a little bit of a victory lap here? Go because for it. I believe I said last week that I thought Tama Tonga is on the verge of potentially being ready for a push. Um, I said that based on some comments and things of that nature that I'd heard on his podcast, Tama's Island. And it just seemed to me like he's the dark horse guy on the right side of the brackets. And when you look at everything, it's like, okay, Brody King – I think a lot of people had Brody King versus Kenta slotted as a final. And something in my heart of hearts and in my gut just told me that Tama is probably going to beat this guy. Now, I know it was – I didn't like quote-unquote completely predict it. But I, last week I was like this is – I was like Tama has got a really good shot at winning this thing. Did I not say that?
1: Yeah. And I, I don't think it was you know out of the question. I mean Tama Tonga is a contracted New Japan guy, dojo guy. Somebody that's been pushed heavily throughout the years in Bullet Club. And, you know, we did have a question about this um, from uh, EMJ does PR in Discord. He said, why bury Brody King? What was the point of bringing him in when they could have given that spot to someone from the dojo? Is
2: I don't know that I consider this a burial at all.
1: Yeah, I don't consider per, it a burial. Personally, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, bringing... A guy in from Ring of Honor, uh, Brody King. I mean, there was some buzz. Once when they announced Brody King's in this thing, there was a lot of people like, Oh, you know, Brody's in this, you know, there's some buzz. You got some, you know, hype behind that and bring him in. But like we mentioned, like, who are you gonna put over? Are You gonna put over the contracted guy or are you gonna put in, you know, the outsider guy who potentially you're not sure how long or how often Brody King's gonna be working in New Japan or these New Japan strong shows.
2: Yeah, so not every one of these matches in this tournament had a lot of teeth to it. I think the two most interesting ones were probably uh, Kenta and Fredericks, and then this match with Brody King. And there's a lot of things to kind of take into consideration. On the one hand, you've got Tama, who, like you mentioned, Jeremy, he's contracted. He's a dojo guy. He's been there for a long time. He's been in G1s in the past. So, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to think that potentially – it could have hypothetically been a foregone conclusion that he's going to win. Then there's the other way of thinking about it. It's like, well, there's a reason he wasn't in the G one last year. He's never really held a singles title in the company. He's pretty much known as a tag team specialist. And every time that they've sort of given him a big opportunity to showcase what he has to offer in a singles role, it sort of feels like it lands flat or comes up short to some degree. So, I could understand why some people might be disappointed or even um, surprised I just think from a logical standpoint they shouldn't be too surprised when you really start thinking taking everything into consideration you know
1: right and again I I don't think it was a burial Um, I thought Brody looked good in the match he did get um, a lot of offense and he looked really strong uh, throughout this match Yeah, it might have been a burial, you know, if it was, you know, just say, you know, gun stun from the the bell and kind of a squash match, but these guys had a little bit of time to work.
2: Well, I think the perception amongst some fans that Tamatanga is quote unquote a geek is the burial. The fact that he even lost to him because for some fans, they see these two guys in completely different stratospheres and lights. But, you know, in the kayfabe of New Japan, I don't know that that really is the case. You know, maybe in... and you know what, I don't even know if in Ring of Honor, because in Ring of Honor they tend to really treat the New Japan guys very well. Uh, New Japan's clearly the A-side in that uh, relationship. So, But in the greater scheme of wrestling fandom, you know, on the independent scene and internationally, I would say to some degree Brody King might have more cachet as a singles name than Tama Tonga does. That doesn't mean that this was a burial. Uh one has to keep in mind that a lot of finishers are very protected in New Japan. And one of those protected finishers is the gun stun. Um, you know, Carl Anderson, when he hit you with it, you were pretty much gonna lose. Uh and he passed that on to Tamatanga, And Tamatanga has beaten plenty of top name guys with that move. I think he even like beat one of the Young Bucks with it when they won the tag titles. So uh, um it's a it's a tried, true, and proven, like, finisher that, like, he hit Birdie King with it. He hit it clean. Once he hit it, I was like, oh, he beat him.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and a lot of people might have been worried about the match quality here with Tama Tonga. But honestly, I think this is one of Tama's better singles matches that he's had in his run in New Japan.
2: Oh, it was Match of the Night for me. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Like, it's not that we have gone to bat for Tamatunga over the years in the history of this podcast where we've been like this guy is so athletic, he's so gifted, he's so charismatic, like there was a point where we were like advocating that he should like get a singles push and a title run of some sort, you know, not not a IWGP or anything, but you know, maybe maybe a never shot or a US or something. And then every G1 he would like make us look like idiots, so we we're like, so we stopped doing that for a long time. We stopped like really kind of pushing for this guy we're like he's a good tag team wrestler <laughs> we changed our tone and then this man came out and had a good ass wrestling match with no shenanigans no bullshit athletic as fuck he's in great shape i don't know that i'd like him not having a beard though by the way i think mm, it looks, right it looks it looks fucking weird <laughs> but <laughs> but other than that uh he looked great and um I thought they told a really good story, and when it was all said and done, I went like three and a half on, on, what, like a ten minute match, I thought it was great.
1: Yeah, I was also three and a half, yeah, I thought it was a really good match, really good back and forth, I thought, you know, Tamil looked really good, and I'm actually excited to see him, you know, what the rest of his matches are going to look like in this tournament, and just this kind of new singles run, that you mentioned, you know, he's made comments on Tamil's Island, and other, you know, different publications that he does want to get into singles wrestling, and he feels like he's kind of done everything there is to do, and a tag team in new Japan. And so he is going to be focusing more on singles and obviously with them not being able to go to Japan and being on new Japan strong, it doesn't make a lot of sense for him to go singles and focus on that goal. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what this kind of run looks like.
2: Yeah. I, I thought it was good. Um, yeah. Nothing much more to say there, but um, now that things are kind of evening out, let's very briefly just kind of discuss. Um, I mean, you got Cobb and Kenta on one side, and then you got Finley and Tama on the other side. And if you were just going based off favorites, based off of their trajectory and their, their status in New Japan, a Kenta versus Tama Tonga all-bullet club final doesn't really seem to be too far outside of the realm of possibilities here.
1: Yeah, honestly, like when, when I look at these two matches, that seems like what's going to happen. I don't know that it's gonna happen. I mean, you could
2: always. There's a lot of things you could do. I don't know that I push Cobb over Kenta at this point. You could, but I think the Kenta is more of a lock, and he'll. He's probably still the favorite guy to win, and probably for me too.
1: Right. I think the thing uh, too we have to remember with Kenta, you know, he just, you know, the last time we saw him, he was in the main event getting a double title shot. So he's, he's up there.
2: Yeah, and he did really well in the G1 last year, and he had the big. Money feud with uh, Shibata, and then not only that, you know, he had a giant never title run for a little bit there as well, so I mean, in his short time in New Japan, he's done quite a bit, plus just being the legend that he is, it makes the most sense. On the opposite side of things, it's like, okay, you got Tama, and then you got uh, your boy Dave Finley. It's like, Finley's a guy that they've never really gone with in a singles role, and i feel like if he wins he's only winning to lose to kenta personally or to maybe set up some sort of thing for maybe finjuice down the road even though i know you know um what's his face is injured but that's that's one angle you could take plus i don't know how long these guys are going to stay in the states so you kind of have to think about long-term storytelling beyond just the tournament like what what kind of angles and feuds might they be trying to set up similar to like what they did on the Collision show? So maybe there's some of that element there. But I wouldn't be opposed to the idea of an all-bullet-club finale just because there's so much speculation about a potential civil war down the road with what's going on with Evil and what's going on potentially with Jay White. And Kent is definitely in that mix. And what if this is some sort of U.S. precursor or even extension of what might be happening down the road with Bull Club that's and I know I'm not usually a big fan of like the fantasy booking or th- stuff like that but this one's kind of like right in front of your face
1: right and it's definitely a very intriguing story you know Tama he's, he's a Bull Club OG and you know Kenta is somebody they just added within the last year and right you really don't know kind of where they're you know, how well do they really work together You know, we hear on Tama's uh, Island, he talked about The Bullet Club formation, and it just kind of You know, people's roles in Bullet Club And, you know, Tama was supposed to kind of Take that Carl Anderson Role of kind of being the second-in-command Under Kenny, and that quite Didn't happen, and then Jay White took over, and I really don't feel like Tama Kind of assumed that second-in-command Role, even with Jay White I And mean, with Kenta coming in, I feel like Kenta kind of Shot to the top and kind of went into that second-in-command role. So I'm wondering if there's some kind of heat there or, you know, just a different, you know, mentality between both of these guys.
2: Honestly, if you want my opinion, if anybody's, like, quote-unquote second-in-command, maybe Fale.
1: Mm, yeah. But
2: the bull Club, you know, we've talked about it over the years, the changes it's gone through. But the one thing I think is that there is not really the structure that they had on, like, ever since Kenny Omega left, you know? um there really is not that sort of thing. And that's one of the um, – when they first did the Civil War the other like two years ago and um, Tama was kind of talking about like there is no leader. We're all equal. There never was a leader. The bull Club has no leaders, which clearly was never the case. Like they clearly had leaders and generals, things of that nature. And then a few months later he's like, oh, Jay White is the leader. <laughs> and I remember, I know it's just kind of goofy stuff, but I, I remember thinking, like, man, Tama, you think you're far up in this group, but, like, you don't even know who the leaders are or not. Like, you know, you, you just went back. Like, it's, like, you know, back and forth. So I would like to see him take a more prominent role. My question is, which one, fought, like, just the idea, hypothetically, that there's an evil Jay White power struggle, where do these two guys fall along those lines? There's a part of me that kind of feels like, well, Kenta's Japanese, so he should be with the Japanese guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I actually don't think that's the case based on some comments that we've seen from Tama online with Twitter and then also on his podcast where he seems to be welcoming to the idea of evil, uh, being in the group and kind of you know, taking the helm while COVID is going on. And we haven't really heard anything from Kenta in that regard or even really Jay White and anything we have heard is kind of cryptic and against, you know, evil. So I'm sort of thinking that that might be the the indication of their potential allegiances. And they might not they might not do this at all, but I think it would be a really interesting thing to do if you go with those two guys.
1: Yeah. And it'd be interesting to see how the match goes down. You know, a lot of times when we see bull club versus bull club guys, there tends to be one guy who's more of the cheater while another guy's, you know, trying to play a little bit more clean and try to have a fair matchup between, you know, his stable mate. So it'll be interesting to see the dynamic of just how even the match structure is between these two guys.
2: The other thing, too, that you see is they come in and they're buddy-buddy and they try to two-sweet each other and they try to agree that one of them is going to pin the other one and then just kind of go from there and then a lot of shenanigans. And I feel like for a tournament final, they wouldn't do that. Like, it would be a very serious affair and it would be hard-hitting. So, uh, I also think for for whatever reason it feels to me like Kenta's the big heel in this tournament and I feel like Tama Tonga with the shaved face would be the the baby face. Right as weird as that sounds yeah. Um I kinda like I'm still holding out hope. I think uh, I think Tama might be the um the dark horse in this one. But you know, I think most people have Kenta favored. Um one last thing on this before we move on. Um so this past week on Wrestling Observer Live Rocky Romero's on the show talking about Strong and he was saying like going forward and we kind of knew this but he just kind of reconfirmed that Strong is a weekly show it's going to be like the spiritual successor to the, the Access show and they're going to continue to just do more and more footage even after the tournament's over but when they asked about John Moxley he didn't say specifically that they're for sure like that the winner of this tournament is going to fight John Moxley specifically he didn't commit to that but he kind of alluded to it. You know? Yeah. And and it's been interesting on the show, they've never they're not showing any footage of John Moxley with the US title. They're not saying his name. They're just like, the winner's getting a future shot at the champion. And I'm like, we don't know who the champion is.
1: <laughs> right. Well, in right and, and some of the promos that the guys have done leading into this, they they all mentioned facing Moxley. But yeah, on the actual show, they really haven't mentioned him.
2: Um but one thing that Rocky said that makes me believe that they might be actually waiting until the travel ban is lifted and people can go to Japan to do a match with John, because I think that honestly, that's the only way that it's going to, they're either going to strip him or they're going to do a match in Japan. One or the other. He said that the winner of this thing will probably likely end up having to defend his title shot. Uh That's not an official confirmation. You know, it's not like, the show said this, but it's an offhanded comment that I heard Rocky make on Observer Live where he's like, yeah, given the COVID situation, the winner will probably have to uh, defend their shot. Similar to like a G1 thing. So I think that that's what they're waiting for. It's like they're kind of waiting on the status of the travel bans. And then if they can get John you know, to Japan and then they can get whoever's going to challenge him, most likely Kenta, then we kind of go from there.
1: Right. Also, too, another thing they could be waiting for, like we mentioned last week, um, you know, all out is uh, coming up in a couple of weeks here. Uh, maybe they're waiting. That maybe they know that is losing the AW title, and so they're going to wait until after that match, so they could then have him drop the US title. If, they, but, they could, but, if but I'm
2: telling for. you right now, he's not wrestling in, in America for any other competitor. Yeah, just, even it's just not happening. Like the only way it's going to happen is if, if it's in Japan.
1: Yeah, that that we've seen that kind of in the past. And so I'm just saying like, if there was a small little chance that he was going to wrestle in the U.S., he'd have to get rid of that AEW title first. But yeah, the match will, will right. probably happen in Japan whenever um, military abandons left lifted and people from the States can go to Japan.
2: Yeah, I mean, if it was Northeast Wrestling and they didn't have any sort of like streaming, then that's one thing. But because it's New Japan and it is streamed and it is one of their competitors in the marketplace, there's no way that they're doing that
1: um so before we move on we did have some uh questions here uh, about this matchup and just uh, new japan strong uh some question from agent wallaby says if tamatanga goes full stop with the heel bs and actually tries to be a competent wrestler do you guys think he has the ability to work at the, the level at the level top guy will no beard tamla be a new mythical wrestler
2: <laughs> uh i like i like that no beard uh Tama. Um, yeah, he looked really good. It, it looked like he was delivering on the sorts of things that we've always sort of uh, believed he was capable of delivering, you know. Um, I wouldn't say that we know that he can wrestle to the level of, you know, the top level of New Japan because New Japan has such a high level. But, I mean, I don't know, man. I was more entertained in this 10-minute match with Tama than I have been in uh, by any evil match in, like, this whole calendar year that I can really remember, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if, if if the bar is as low as it is right now. Maybe he could be champion. Who knows? I don't
1: know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I think there's still more to be seen. Um, I definitely think also the U.S. title would be a great place for him to start. I think maybe even eventually, you know, if the double title split in the future, an IC run could be kind of good. So I definitely think um, there's definitely room to grow and just see kind of where he goes from here.
2: I do one thing I wanted to say. I don't think they should have made this the New Japan Cup of America. Like they should have just called it something else.
1: Yeah, like I don't like the I don't know. What this and it
2: any, literally anything else. It could have been anything. Just not like I'm not a big fan of them doing the same tournament in America, but just calling it of America. Like you know.
0: Yeah. Like they,
2: if you're if if you're gonna do a tournament, do like just a new tournament with a new name.
1: Right, yeah, like, I don't know, like a, a Strong 8 tournament, something, you No, know, it could have been very simple, like nothing out of this world Bro, but.
2: Strong 8 is already an infinitely better name than New Japan Cup of America <laughs> <laughs> I like that, It's that's a good name, yeah, that works
1: so yeah,
2: they they could have called it. They got the king of pro wrestling over there. They could have done the king of strong style over here. <laughs> <laughs> Anything yeah. I don't know.
1: Yeah, the K O S S tournament. <laughs> yeah, the cost. <laughs>
2: the annual cost invitational. <laughs> uh,
1: next question here from Yas says, have just started listening to your podcast, enjoying it already. With a bloated Bullet Club, do you see any of the current members turning face once everyone's back in Japan?
2: I think that's a possibility, um, but you know, if okay, let's think about it. How many we have? Two heel sta- uh, factions in New Japan right now. We've got Bullet Club and Suzuki Gun, and those are like pure heel factions. Every everything else is either tweener or. Or face. So I don't know that they necessarily need more faces. Um, If my guess from a historical perspective, I would say they'd probably we'd probably end up with some heel leaning tweeners or face. We're going to get tweeners out of this. Whoever splits off. We're not getting full baby face because we already have that with Tai, and then Chaos is already like face leaning as well. So I think we get something kind of in between.
1: Yeah, I mean, depending on how a split happens, I mean, maybe you, you get a couple guys that end up going full face, and a couple guys that end up going tweeners. It just it's, it's depends on how they split. Like, we're kind of assuming it's going to be a dead-on split in two down the middle, but who knows? They, right. There are different factions within bull Club. I mean, all the Tongans are very strong together. I mean, they could all split off completely and do their own thing, while Jay White does his own thing and Eagle does his own thing. So there could be multiple ways this club could be split up.
2: Yeah, that we don't know. You bring up a great point. I mean, I was kind of thinking like we end up with two factions, but realistically, maybe only one of those factions survives, and then who knows what the fates of the wrestlers, you know, coming out of this quote-unquote potential civil war, even end up doing. So, yes, I think we will have some people that end up as face. To answer your question, who I don't know, but yes, somebody somewhere, sometime, yeah. somehow, some way. <laughs>
1: Uh, next question for Rambo and Slam Pig the shows coming from the LA Dojo over the last couple months have scratched a New Japan studio wrestling itch I wasn't aware I had what has been (laughs) your favorite match of the run so far
2: I totally agree with you Rambo and Slam Pig I would love for them to adopt more of some of the uh, studio wrestling cliches and tropes Uh, I think uh, some of that type of wrestling is sorely missed I love the power product so I would love for New Japan to kind of adopt a little bit of that in their presentation because, keep in mind, a lot of that is very sports-centric-esque, which is what New Japan is all about. Um, as far as like the best match, um, I still think the best match of this entire run between both shows is the tag team match with Russ Taylor, TJP, um who was in that match?
1: It was Rocky, it was, Rocky Romero yeah. and... It was Rocky and Russ Taylor against TJP and Clark Connors.
2: And Clark Connors, that that's the best match of any of the shows for me.
1: Yeah, that's a really good tag match. For me, I don't know, I really loved the Kenta and Carl Fredericks match. I just Oh, loved, you're high on that match. Yeah, I'm really high on I, I loved how hard-hitting it was. I liked it better than Tama and Brody King. uh but, yeah, that match was just so hard-hitting and just so violent. And just a great way to, like, you know, set the tone for the whole show. And so, yeah, so far I'm really liking that match. But, yeah, that tag match you mentioned um, was a close second. Um, also, you know, Rocky and Tom Waller was another pretty good match from the Lions Break series.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, I like the the Rocky-Tom Waller match and then that tag match. Both of those matches I liked better than everything on this first night of Strong. Um, the first night of Strong was good. Sort of, in a way, kind of reminded me of, like, the Cruiserweight Classic first round, how they had limited time, so it was like, you know, they just kind of had their matches and it was good, but it wasn't great. And then once you got in the meat potato of, like, the second round, things really heated up. And I think once we get to the semifinals and the final, we're really going to see what they have to offer. Plus, every week of Collision, the matches got better, and if Strong goes by that same uh, trajectory... You know, I anticipate we're going to get a lot better matches down the road. Plus, look at some of the, the names that we're getting. We're definitely getting a higher caliber of talent and experience when it comes to the new show. And who knows, you know, when we have other people that might show up down the road, um, you know, whether it be indie names, Ring of Honor guys, <laughs> MLW guys, New Japan guys, like I'm, I'm excited for the prospects of what this show might end up being down the road.
1: Yeah, especially looking at the card coming up this Friday, which we'll get to in a second after we finish uh, these uh, last couple questions here. So, uh, next from Hawaiian Punch BV, with the emergence of the LA Dojo, do you think the days of six or more young lines out of the New Japan Dojo are over? Do you think New Japan should think about adding more domestic young lines to bolster their future domestic only roster in the hopefully rare case that coronavirus 2.0 returns?
2: You know, um,. I, I, I don't really know a clear answer to that. I think the the reality is is that New Japan is trying to expand and I think they're gonna have multiple young lions in multiple schools across the world. Keep in mind they also have the New Zealand show with fall, or uh, School with Fallet. So I think it really just depends on how many people they want to bring in to the school that can live up to the very harsh and you know regimented standards that they have for shibata he originally was like i'm just gonna have four and then now for some reason there's only been three until they brought in um you know uh, freaking narita gabriel kid oh oh yeah kid and narita which by the way we don't even know what's going on with narita we haven't even seen him on any of these shows which i think is a little you know kind of weird and suspect but uh uh, on the flip side, right now we just happen to have the what, two guys over in Japan.
1: Yeah, Suji, Yamura.
2: And right now, I don't think that because of what's going on with COVID that they can really expand. But I I wouldn't be surprised if in a year or two we have another four guys in that uh, you know, roster.
1: Right. And like you mentioned, you know, that, that dojo process, getting into the dojo, it's a very you know, hard process. You just don't walk up and say, Hey, I wanna be in this and you get in. And I think, too, we have to remember that there's, like, there's a a period of time where the Young Lions, like, we don't even know if there are people training in the New Japan Dojo. There could be Young Lions training right now that we just haven't seen yet. And then eventually, who knows, maybe in six months, we start seeing, you know, guys pop up on shows. So there is a time period where they are strictly in the Dojo and training, and we don't see them at all um, on the screen, even as ringside attendants. Right. So, yeah, so I, I think eventually, I think, too, like you mentioned with COVID, also it could be... Uh, maybe they've closed off letting people into the dojo for right now and taking new classes. not 100% sure. But I think eventually, once things are back to normal, I think, like you mentioned, all three dojos will have normal, you know, four to five class sizes of guys that are competing all across the country.
2: Yeah, and, I mean, who knows? Like, we saw Narita kind of go on excursion, and he's in the uh, L.A. dojo. We might see things like that in the future. I think that's the idea of what Fale is doing is – creating an entry point for guys to potentially go to the no gay dojo. So we might see some cross-contamination between these different schools and ideologies, things of that nature down the road. I mean, anything can happen. It's, it's a new day now. Yeah. Yes, it is.
1: <laughs> as far as the second part of the question about um, adding more young lines to the, uh, the LA dojo, um, I don't think there should be a, a huge rush on that. I think it should be the same process. You, you really, you find the guys who you really think uh, have what it takes and can, can excel in that dojo. Uh, as far as domestic shows, I mean, there, there's tons of indie talent. There's their partnership with Ring of Honor. We're starting to see them work with MLW. So there's different talent sources that they can use to continue to bolster up the strong roster without trying to you know find a bunch of guys to throw in the L.A. dojo.
2: I hear the War Horse is available.
1: Uh, no, 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 no.
2: <laughs> War Horse Rules ass.
1: <laughs> no.
2: You know who I would like to see that's out there? Maybe Daniel Maccabee.
1: Mm, yes, we were watching some uh, Daniel Maccabee a few weeks ago. Yeah, Maccabee would be great. Some people
2: don't want to hear that, but I'd like to see Daniel Maccabee come out there.
1: Why? Do people not like Daniel Maccabee?
2: Yeah, a lot of people don't like Daniel Maccabee.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. But I like
2: Daniel Maccabee, so fuck him.
1: <laughs> I mean, I like the match that I, a couple matches that we watched uh, a few weekends ago. Yeah. But uh, moving on to the next question. Uh, Reddit user Viking Payne says, I was listening to Wrestling Observer Radio on YouTube, and Brian had an interview with Rocky, and Rocky said the NJPW Strong is going to be a weekly thing now. Now, if that said, do you guys think we may be getting a G130 USA edition like they're doing with the New Japan Cup? Maybe the winner gets a chance to face the G130 winner for the briefcase at a show like King of Pro Wrestling?
2: Yeah, you know, I kind of thought of that. I. I, I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibilities, but I kind of hope they don't do that. It's like, we're getting an, we're getting a tournament now. We've gotten so many tournaments in such a short amount of time. And it's like, we've, we in the past praised the brilliance of doing a tournament in this kind of era. It's like, all right, there's stakes. You don't need a lot of personal, you know, vendettas or reasons for it. Like it's, it's sports centric, but enough is enough, man. I mean, King of pro wrestling tournament, the six man tournament, new Japan cup tournament, new Japan cup of USA tournament. The G one is coming up. I mean, this is getting like overblown and I feel like I, I I forgot a tournament in the midst of all this. Like, (laughs) (laughs) um, also I don't like the idea that they're doing a whole G one over there, but then they would hypothetically do one over here so that they could unify to have, you know, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, I would rather them just kind of New, New Japan Strong su- should just focus on establishing themselves and their show, and maybe not worry so much about what happens with the G1 in Japan necessarily.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, and kind of like you were saying earlier, I don't I don't like the whole you know New Japan Cup of USA, and I wouldn't like you know a G130, a G1 climax of USA. Uh, I think it kind of messes up with kind of the tournament history as you're when you're looking back and uh, trying to um, you know look at tournament history and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I don't think they should do A, a G130 tournament in the USA You know, maybe you have some kind Of singles tournament Where, you know, somebody's like all right, I w-, Or some or somebody builds, builds up momentum And they're like, alright, you know I've had all these wins, I would have won If I was in Japan, I should face the G1 Winner, and maybe you, Whenever they can go to Japan, you have that person face the G1 Winner, and they can um, You know, kind of Face off and see who would have really won Kind of thing
2: I wouldn't even focus on that. Like, you know, if you're good, try to get a title shot, period. You know, uh, there's a few ways you can get title shots in New Japan. One of them is to win a tournament or whatever. But the better way, the way I like to do it, you just walk out after they're done with a match and you point to a sign and you say, I'll see you at WrestleMania. No, that's the wrong company. (laughs) You walk up to them after a match and you point at the belt and say, I want that and then you go like this you, you take your hands and you move them back and forth <laughs> kind of motioning that you want the strap around your waist and then uh, you know a few weeks later they'll hold a press conference and you you'll get that title shot believe it or not as crazy as it sounds you will in fact bypass the entire line and you will get the next shot doesn't matter who you are I, I am surprised that more people don't try this Eujiro could have already had a title shot by now
1: yeah, I mean, it, it works, you know, I would say 99% of the time there is that 1% <laughs> <laughs> that that one where, percent where you're like Hiromu and everybody beats you to the punch and, you know, knocks you out of the way trying to get to the challenge. So you, you got to be quick, you got to be prepared, other people might run out on you, but yeah, just, you know, stroll on out and uh, call a champion out.
2: <laughs> yeah, you get a towel shot, it's crazy. <laughs>
1: Uh last question here uh from @supermashedon on Twitter. How well do you think these NJ U- NJ USA shows would have drawn had there been no COVID?
2: Uh I mean, did they have shows that were like announced and re- and ready to go before COVID? I don't think they did, right? No.
1: The the New Beginning in USA tour was the only thing that was like the only plans for the first quarter that I knew about.
2: I guess my thinking is just um I don't even know if this was in the plans necessarily. Maybe it was, maybe it's not. We don't really know. So it's hard to say. As far as being studio shows, do I think the shows would have sold? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, they sell out that studio for Championship Wrestling of Hollywood. So I'm sure, just like the Power shows sell out, I'm sure that the uh, you know Strong shows will sell out. Now, if they were trying to tour with it, in 1000 to 1500 seat arenas i don't know about that you know that's totally different beast but to do a tv taping full sale style yeah sure
1: yeah i think you would have an easy time especially if it's only going to be in one location you build up that fan base and you build up that regulars that are going to come every you know a few weeks for the tv tapings agreed so, uh, moving on to uh, what's coming up next, uh, coming Friday on NJPW Strong. So, they released the uh, full lineup for this Friday. So, uh, the opening match, we have Clark Connors teaming up with a debuting Jordan Clearwater, and they'll be taking on Logan Regal of the Regal Twins and Barrett Brown. So, we've seen uh, Regal before him and his brother, the Regal Twins, they've competed on these uh, NJPW USA shows before, and we've seen Barrett Brown compete on these shows before as well. I never seen them. You mean you didn't watch uh, the you know several you know Lions break projects that they did in California?
2: No, nah, fuck that. I didn't watch that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: that that's, that stuff wasn't even in like that's not even part of the actual like canon. <laughs>
1: yeah, it wasn't. But yeah, those that's where those guys uh, kind of made their debuts. Um, second matchup.
2: They should have got Warhorse.
1: No <laughs> uh, Second matchup Very interesting here We have the New Japan return Of A.C.H And he's going to be teaming up With the great Super. <laughs> he's going to be teaming up With the great T.J.P. and Alex Zane Who we saw Alex Zane make his New Japan debut during this year's New Beginning and USA tour We saw him here in Tampa And they'll be taking on the team of P.J. Black from Ring of Honor Making his New Japan debut he's teaming up with mysterioso and teaming up with blake christian making his new japan debut blake christian top independent star you might have seen him in gcw he and alex zane often wrestle each other a lot and have great matches together um he's a great high flyer so we have a great high flying six-man junior matchup here
2: yeah it's gonna be a crazy matchup um I was going to say that's a lot of GCW energy in this matchup for sure. Um, Glad to see that the heat has died down around ACH and they're ready to bring him back in without, you know, you know, this man was talking about social inequality and racial justice and everything like that. People are like, shut up, ACH, you're taking it too hard. And then suddenly, like the whole country, like goes into like uproar over the exact same sort of things that he was talking about you know,
0: <laughs> right. earlier
2: in the year. But no, he's just an angry black man, right? Right. <laughs> but uh, I'm glad that uh, they brought him back. Uh, it's been a few years. He's one of the guys that, when we saw him in the Largo Loop, we'd always talk about how, you know, we wished he was back in New Japan. Well, you know, he kind of is now. So um, who knows? Maybe Matt Sidell will come back soon. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I, he's uh, he's going to be in the, the PURE tournament that's coming up for Ring of Honor
2: who is uh sidell
1: is yeah
2: oh nice well i would still like to see him return to new japan in some respect even if it's just in the states but uh
1: yeah yeah i would love to see sidell back and yeah i'm super happy that uh ach is back and really looking forward to seeing what he can do i know he uh wrestled uh joey janela recently on gcw show i did not get a chance to check that out but i heard some good stuff from that so yeah looking forward to getting him back in the fold and. This should be a very fun six-man tag match. This is Rich Ladders Pro Wrestling written all over it. Should expect a lot of high-flying and kind of crazy moves from this match. Nice. Um, and then, like we mentioned, we have uh, the, the two other tournament matches. We have David Finlay taking on Tamatonga in the semi-main, and then the main event will be Kenta facing off against Jeff Cobb. Well, that's the lineup for NJPW Strong this Friday. Also, a note on Alex Coglin. He suffered a neck injury and will not be competing on uh, further coming NJPW Strong shows.
2: That doesn't sound good at all.
1: Yeah, neck injuries are uh, never good. So, yeah, hopefully a speedy recovery for Alex Coughlin. Hopefully it's not like a break or, you know, a disc slip or fracture or anything like that. And hopefully he'll be be back um, at some point in the near future. Um, And, you know, young boy, we talked a lot about, you know, Kenta's hair, and we talked about, uh, you know, Tamatonga shaving the beard. Uh, <laughs> do you think either of these two gentlemen? Well, clearly Kenta hasn't been doing any any shaving at all, but Tamatonga shaved the beard. Do you think he he used a lawnmower 3.0 to shave the beard?
2: Well, I know that just like uh, our show, Tamas Island is also sponsored by. Um, manscaped. So I am very positive that he has um, also experienced the greatness of the three 3.0 as evidenced by his new you know, more groomed look. Uh, Kent, on the other hand, I, bro you know, if you see a man's hair to, and, and, it, and it's crazy like that it, there's a good chance that there's some other aspects of his life that are just <laughs> as crazy and I I just, I can't say for sure, but I just got a strong inclination that that man is not grooming, if you know what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, Tama needs to pull this man aside and be like, yo, Kenta, you need to use this lawnmower Mower 3.0. Except Tama, don't tell him to use your code. He needs to use our code, SUPLEX, at manscaped.com to get us 20% off and free shipping. The Manscaped team has spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created. That's right, that Lawn Mower 3.0 that we've been talking about every week. It's a third-generation trimmer, which features a cutting-edge ceramic blade that reduces manscaping accidents. So manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. Absolutely. And it has, you know, we talk about it every week, the cool LED light feature that illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. Uh, also, they upgraded the uh, motor there, 7,000 RPM quiet stroke technology. So if you're listening to us right now, we want you to experience the Lawnmower 3.0 and all the other great products from Manscaped.com. So go to Manscaped.com, put in the promo code SUPLEX, you get 20% off and free shipping, and you can be looking Fresh and clean, like the bad boy Tama Tonga.
2: Yeah, let me tell you guys: if you uh, miss out on uh, taking advantage of this uh, offer, you're dead to us. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, like the the products that uh, are innovated and offered through Manscaped are just top of the line, like next level. And you know, it's one of those things where I didn't know I needed it until I used it, and then once I had it, I couldn't imagine, you know continuing without it and so it's one of those things where trust me guys let us hook you up with the free shipping and the 20 percent off and uh, do yourself a favor and place an order and you won't regret it
1: nice so now we're gonna move on to summer struggle tour and talk about the never open six man tournament um i don't know if you've seen this summer struggle (laughs) what an apt
2: name for these four shows
1: <laughs> it, It's a great name for this tour But I've renamed it um, Blue Justice's Summer Slap Fest um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was going to call it the Summer Slog Because <laughs> it was so hard to get through But
1: yeah uh, Your name's good too Yeah, because you know Eugene Nagata's been all over this tour Slapping up Suzuki, slapping up Young Lions In tag matches Eugene Nagata's been killing it on this tour So uh Yeah bro, Blue Justice
2: still fucks
1: (laughs) Um, So one note before we get started with these shows Uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi had appeared on a television show on August 1st Where another person on the show later tested positive for COVID-19 Tanahashi was never in close proximity with the person who tested positive Uh, He went under three different types of COVID testing and passed all three tests So he was cleared to compete on these four shows for the uh, Trios Tournament
2: Nice. I'm glad to hear the Aces in good health.
1: And so, as we go through these uh, four Summer Struggle shows, I think for the non-tournament matches, we should just kind of breeze through and go through the results, unless there's some kind of story element, um, and then we can get to the tournament matches.
2: Yeah, and and in full disclosure, I know you watched these entire shows. I watched the. I watched all the tournament matches. I watched a majority of the first show, but it got to a point where, like with my life. Things just been kind of crazy. This weekend was nuts. You know, four show, five shows, four days. Uh, I, I started thinking about it. I was like, you know, this isn't exactly the G1. <laughs> this isn't exactly a grade one climax. So I did, in full disclosure, kind of just breeze through a lot of these undercard matches. Although I did stick around to make sure that I caught a lot of the story elements and listen to the backstage comments because there are quite a few different stories that are uh, you know brewing on this undercard for sure.
1: Yeah, and I think that's one thing they did great for this whole stretch here, of these four shows. There was a lot of promos and angles and a lot of stuff, advancing rivalries, um, building to Jingu, and a lot of great stuff coming out of the Never Six-Man Tournament. So these are one of these shows, like, yeah, you know, if you don't have time, I, I get you skipping through matches, but if you're watching all these shows, they did offer something a little bit different and did advance stories all throughout the shows.
2: Different. <laughs>
1: So, uh, starting off with the first show here, Summer Struggle, um, August 6th. So, we had Yuji Nagata defeating Gabriel Kidd, 18 minutes and 12 seconds. Uh, second matchup, we had Hiroshi Tenzan and Master Wato defeating Risuke and Yota Suji in 9 minutes and 54 seconds. Uh, we did have a question here from Highest Fly Flow. He says, What do you guys think is the Wato gimmick? In my opinion, he is a. Master not sure of what on the way to becoming a grandmaster and maybe tens is already a grandmaster and helping Wato become that
2: <laughs> uh, That's like probably the best explanation that I have heard because that makes sense so because he's On his way to being the grandmaster way to the grandmaster right. He is just a master at this point, but to me like Calling him a master would be like um I used to work at this – I had this one job one time where they called all of us uh, managers. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we were all project managers, but we were just regular employees. You know what I mean? Right. And so, so like, I feel like them calling him master is the same thing as when they called us managers. Like, what they mean by master is, like, novice. Like (laughs) – <laughs> not not a man because we weren't managers of shit and he's not a master of shit either. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of the same thing.
1: But I, I will say though, uh Tenzon man, does it get any more supported than him? This man's out here, he's supporting Wato, he's supporting Kojima, he wants both of them to do their best. You know, Tenzon's a man you want to have in your squad. He's gonna always have your back.
2: Yeah, bro. I need someone in my life to gas me up the way that uh <laughs> Tenzon does for his boys like you definitely Don't do it no one else in my life does it I need someone who hypes me the way Tenzon hypes Wato. Uh,
1: I'll try better uh, So uh, moving On we had um, Chaos team of Goto Ishii And Yoshihashi defeating the team of Great Bash heel Makabe and Hanma And Satoshi Kojima so also, it's a non Tournament match so just to kind of help Build up some momentum here for uh, The chaos team then we move on. We had the Suzuki-gun team of Taichi, Yoshinobu Kanamaru, and Zack Sabre Jr. defeating the Golden Aces, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kodobushi, and Yuya Uemura. Um, This was also, again, a non-tournament matchup. But the key thing with this matchup here, there was a angle after the match. So um, once again, you know, Golden Aces here on the losing end of things. And we've kind of seen this kind of, you know disappointment in um, from Abushi to Tanahashi and kind of ta- Tanahashi kind of struggling to win matches and so after the match uh, Saber and Taichi they kick out a fallen Tanahashi after the bell Abushi uh, was on the outside and kind of you know lost in thought he finally comes back in the ring for a very late save but he gets kicked down then Taichi and Saber hold Tanahashi up and dare Abushi to kick him. And Abushi, he acts like he's thinking about actually going through and, um, and doing this and um, kicking uh, Tanahashi, um, and, but he waited too long, and then Saber and Taichi threw him out of the ring. Um, then Abushi walked to the back on his own while Tanahashi was helped to the back. So
2: Yeah, this was one of the more surprising aspects of what's going on uh, in the storylines. So, I mean like you mentioned, they're definitely playing up the idea that Tanahashi's kind of washed, he's kind of shot. Uh, in the backstage comments, you know, it's it, it's widely, like, kind of known that Abushi sort of sees Tanahashi as being, like, a god to him, is what he calls it. Or, you know, here in the States we might say he's, like, a legend or, like, a mentor, you know, someone that he idolizes. Uh, and he called him, like, one of his, like one of his idols, basically. And Tanahashi hasn't really been living up to that recently, ever since they lost the tag titles. And he's been struggling with his knees, his movements, you know, making tags, getting beat up in matches, you know, kind of dropping the ball. And it's, the, there's been mounting frustration for Bushi. Um, I was surprised at this moment in the match where the Dangerous Techers sort of offered um you know they the night before they started like alluding to the idea of abushi like joining them and then they like offered a chance for him to like hit the kamigoye on um tanahashi and like it did appear like he was thinking or considering it yeah which um i don't know how, you, how what did you feel about this because i wasn't sure that i liked it really
1: Yeah, it was definitely, it it was, I don't know It was weird, but weird in a good way I mean, they're definitely telling an interesting story here You know, Tanahashi, like you mentioned, is Ibushi's role model Somebody looks up to, he calls him a god, he wants to be He's always wanted to be like Tanahashi and It's kind of been, you know, him teaming up with Tanahashi Has been like a dream come true And he's really, for the most part, enjoyed, you know, teaming with Tanahashi And then winning the titles And I think once they lost the titles and then they've keep losing all these multi-mans it's kind of soured on that dream and i think he might have been souring on tanahashi i think you know saber and Taichi were trying to play on that and just kind of manipulate ibushi to betray tanahashi
2: i mean but here's the thing okay so um you know i sort of get that and i think like it, it is intriguing you know for the fans who are watching they're like oh is this a tease is uh Abushi going to go to the dark side? You know, we had, we've had questions the past few weeks. Is he? Are we seeing Abushi ready for a heel turn? Um, so you kind of need him to hesitate and kind of think it over and, and all that. But at the same time, like, I got to think about it from a realistic aspect. Let's say it's you and me, right? Mm-hmm. And w- we're battling another podcast. And then they freaking lay me out and got me kneeled up and are offering you to like throw a right hand into my face or some shit. And then you think about it, (laughs) (laughs) whether you do that or not, I'm just going to let you know, we're not going to be here doing keeping a strong style the next week. (laughs) Like we're just not bro. Like, you know, if, if, if you're going to roll with me, like, you can't be thinking about throwing Kamigoyes <laughs> in my face. You can't even be considering it. Right. The moment that he hesitated and thought about it, I was like, oh, fuck no, bro. Like, <laughs> we're done. Dunzo. Like, um, but, you know, in the back, Tanahashi was like, they they did cut some funny promos. Like, they, they shot it so that it was like, Abushi's facing the camera. And then in the background, you know, staring at him is like, Tanahashi crying. And Tanahashi's like, please, I will be better. I'll do better tomorrow. I'm gonna improve. And like Ibushi doesn't even want to look back. He's just like looking like he just walks off, shaking his head. And I was like, I was like, this little bitch, bro. (laughs) This man this man's crying and pouring his heart and soul out to you, you know, walk off like that. I said something to uh to Rich about this and he was like he's like he probably wished he was teaming with his old partner. (laughs)
1: Oh my gosh.
2: He's like he had problems like this when he was with Kenny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, clearly they've they've had their, their own issues. Um, but yeah, I, I think it works because Tanahashi is so heartbroken and I feel like he's letting Ibushi down. I feel like if they were kinda on the same level and and maybe they had kind of been going back and forth maybe on the wins and losses, I think maybe it'd been a little more questionable, but I I, I think his story works how it's going right now. Yeah. Uh, so moving on to the next match, we had the first round, first matchup in the Never Openweight Six-Man Tag Team Title Tournament. We had the Chaos team of Kazuchika Okada, Show, and Toru Yano defeating the Bullet Club team of Gato, Jado, and Yujiro Takahashi.
2: Um, so I'm tired of seeing Okada wrestle any uh, version of Yujiro or Gato or Jado, and so I didn't like this match I didn't I don't like this feud. I'm done.
1: Yeah, I thought after Okada uh defeated Yujiro at Sengoku Lord, I thought that was gonna be the end of it. We can move on, get something different for Okada. To, even with the KOPW announcement, I thought it would be something to get him away from Yujiro, but it's something that's bring him closer to Yujiro. And apparently we're just gonna see these guys wrestle forever now. And like you, i did not like this match. Probably the the worst match of the tournament And I'm over seeing Jado and Gator wrestle I'm over seeing Okada and Yujiro wrestle Uh, Just kind of done with it But unfortunately Josh we're not done Because after uh, the Chaos team Won this match Okada Got on the mic he cut a promo And he challenged Yujiro To a first round match in the KOPW tournament And he announced his stipulation He said that he um, challenges them to a three- on one handicap match with Gato and Giotto. Yeah, I don't want to see it. <laughs> and then um, later uh, my,
2: my my one question though is when they talk about uh, doing that, what are the stipulations? Are we talking Texas tornado rules or do they have to tag in? Is this an elimination match or not? Nah? Uh, so th- that's really my only real and then th- my other real question is, when will it end? When will this end? I don't want to watch them anymore. When will this end?
1: <laughs> Hope, hopefully this KOPW match will be the blow-off. There's also a backstage promo. Oh,
2: where- we, we – all right, listen. I Before we even get to it, I'm just going to say this is called the King – KOJW, King of Jag Wrestling because this <laughs> tournament is a bunch of jags. <laughs> Fuck, fuck, fuck a king of pro wrestling bro uh,
1: So we, we had Yujiro He in a backstage promo said what his Stipulation was going to be And he wants a lumberjack match Where all the lumberjacks will have belts And when somebody turns outside The lumberjacks are going to whip Either Okada or Yujiro when they fall outside the ring
2: Yeah and they've started to uh, Sort of Play into this showing um, Ghetto using His belt uh, to whip people and that's kind of becoming A, a major centerpiece of the story So um, Surprisingly I'm actually more in favor Of Yujiro's uh, stipulation Than I am of Okada's But I would prefer for them to just
1: not Wrestle same here <laughs> uh, Then the main Event was the other First round matchup in the tournament we had Los Ingrobanables de Deja Pone Bushi Sonata and Chingo Takagi Defeat the Suzuki Gun team of Doki, El and Minoru Suzuki. So this
2: is a really great match. This was match of the night. Um, And, yeah, I liked this match quite a bit. I thought it was a good uh, first-round match for the uh, six-man tag team title tournament. And, um, yeah, it was was awesome. Uh, Just especially, obviously, but especially the interactions that we got between Shingo Takagi and the King Minoru Suzuki.
1: Yeah, Suzuki and Shingo, man, they were laying into each other and yeah, they had a lot of great back and forth, a lot of great sequences. I actually liked a lot of the sequences between Doki and Sonata as well, towards the the, the closing stretch of the match. I thought they worked really well together.
2: Bro, that's because Doki's good.
1: Yeah, you know, I I gave Doki a hard time, you know, last year when he was in Best of Super Juniors and, uh, I wasn't a fan of Doki, but man, I, I'm slowly, you know, turning around on Doki, and he's been, you know, pretty impressive uh, since uh, New Japan's returned from um, return to action.
2: It's one of those things, man. We are now picking up on the fact that Doki is good, and now because we watch every show, we know this to be a fact. We have empirical evidence. He's good. Now, when we talk to people who have only seen him in like super juniors or on major show undercards where he takes the losses, we're going to be ridiculed for like the next two years. Every time we try to say he's actually good. Yeah. <laughs> this is ty- This is tight. Ty- <laughs> all over.
1: again. Yeah. There seems to be a pattern of this that always happens with some guy. Uh, but unfortunately, Doki uh, ends up taking the fall here. He gets uh, trapped in the skull end and he taps out to Sonata, for the Lij team to get the win, and then post match, we get Shingo and Suzuki continuing to fight each other after the bell. After the bell, then um, Shingo jumps in the ring. Suzuki grabs Shingo's never open weight title and dares him to come get it. Uh, Suzuki back down, but um, it's pretty clear that this is not going to be over, and that obviously Suzuki has his sights set on Shingo Takagi.
2: Yeah, which. Um Is a match that has never happened for Shingo um, or for Minoru Suzuki, um, even given Minoru Suzuki's freelancer status. And it's a match that people have been clamoring for for quite a while now. And, you know, we've been hoping and waiting for it. And it looks like we are on the precipice of actually getting that match. And I can't wait. Sign me up, man. Uh, Absolutely.
1: Yeah, that's going to be great. So then we move on to August 7th, uh, second night of this run here in the Summer summer Struggle Tour. Uh, kicked off with Yuji Nagata defeating Yuya Yomura, 8 minutes and 6 seconds. Then we had Tenkoji, Hiroshi Tenzan, Toshi Kojima defeating Gabriel Kidd and Yota Tsuji. Um So one thing to note about this matchup. So there's been some backstage promos with right. uh, Gabriel Kidd and Yota Suji and. Um, In this match, it was uh, Suji that took the fall that fell to the uh, strongest arm there. And uh, Gabriel Kidd was, you know, blaming Suji for the loss and talking about how his performances wouldn't fly in the L.A. Dojo and how the L.A. Dojo is better than New Japan Dojo. And they kind of had a little back and forth there. So it looks like we're kind of rekindling that L.A. Dojo, New Japan Dojo rivalry.
2: Yeah. And I got to tell you, I, I watched some of these backstage promos. I don't think Gabriel Kidd's quote unquote a bad promo. Uh, especially given the standards in New Japan, but bro, he takes way, way too long on the mic, to, and like they don't edit it at all, they just let him keep going. He's got some long ass interviews on there saying a lot of nothing, but I do, I did find the interviews between him and Suji pretty, uh, interesting. Suji actually made the claim that he is the leader of the Nogi Dojo now, yeah, which I didn't know that, so I guess like. It's him and Clark Connors are like the two leaders of their respective dojos at this point But yeah, they've kind of got a uh, feud going between the two of them and both of them blaming one another and talking about, you know Which brand is su- superior? So it's kind of like Raw versus Smackdown, but in Japan. It's really good
1: <laughs> brand supremacy
2: brand supremacy
1: um, So we move on to the next matchup here. and, we...
2: and Fall's dojo is NXT <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, next matchup here: uh, Chaos team of Okada, Show, and Toriyano. Non non tournament matchup here. They defeat the Suzuki Gun team of Doki, El Esperado, and Minor Suzuki. Uh, Show ends up getting the win via submission, and I make a note of that here because throughout these tours, we're going to see Show getting a lot of submission wins, and it's going to kind of build to something that's going to come later on in the tournament.
2: Yeah, that's the one uh, notable thing I picked up on too. Is uh, show is picking up multiple submission wins all throughout the, the uh, you know past few shows, which is nice. Um, you know, we we kind of wondered what's next for him. There doesn't really seem to be a junior division currently going necessarily. Uh, we're not getting a super junior, so uh, you know the the weight classes are kind of amalgamated at this point. So you kind of wonder with him not having a tag partner, not having a junior title to kind of go after what's next for him, and uh, I think we're getting the answer in the meantime, and it has a lot to do with the submission wins he's getting.
1: Yeah, and that's something, too. Remember, um, in the New Japan Cup, I was like, you know, he keeps doing all these arm bars and kimuras. Like, I want him to actually, you know, get a submission win off of that. So I was actually very happy that he's finally starting to, you know, actually get some wins off these holds.
2: Well, the very interesting thing about a submission-based offense, you look at a guy like uh, Zack Sabre Jr., and he's been able to overcome his size disadvantages and almost eradicate them to the point where people don't even think of him as a junior when realistically, if you really look at him on paper, the guy's a junior. I mean, he has height, but look at his weight. Look at his build. But that's all nullified because of how vicious his uh, arsenal of, of submissions are. I think you can kind of do the same thing with a guy like Sho, we've talked about his disadvantages when it comes to size, but it's like if you're going to be a junior who moves up, you need to have some sort of element that gives you the edge. And being a submission style artist, I don't care how big you are. If your ankle or knee or you know, wrist or collarbone or forearm are getting twisted or or bent, it's going to break and that's going to hurt. You're going to tap out. Or if you you're getting the wind, you know, you know, the blood choked out of your head <laughs> doesn't matter if you're 300, 400 pounds, like you, you're gonna go to sleep. So, uh, I think that that's a good angle to take if you do hypothetically hypothet- want to uh, have them compete with heavyweights.
1: Yeah, that, that's great. Great point there. Um, so, next matchup we had Los Ingram, Los Ingram, a team of Bushi, Sonata, Shingo, and Tetsuya Naito. Defeating the Bullet Club team of Dick Togo, Evil, Gato, and Taiji Ishimori, 13 minutes and 26 seconds uh, So, obviously yo, The story here, they're c- continuing to Progress, you know, the Evil Versus Naito match is coming up at Jingu, uh, I thought this match was alright There was some uh, clunky Spots in this match um, Especially uh, with Naito And Evil, so uh, I don't know what the situation there there Is, and um, you know how it's going to bode well for their match coming up at Jingu.
2: Bro, I didn't watch this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I, like, every time I, like, started to watch it or turn it on, I was just, like, I cannot, like, stomach watching more six-man stuff between Shingo or between uh, Naito and, and Evil. Like, I just can't do it. And I've heard people talk about how interesting, you know, this feud is and how good this is, but the matches are not. Like, they're just not – and it's not just my opinion. Go online, look at Grapple, look at Cage Match, look at all the reviews. Um, objectively speaking, the stuff's not very good. And, like, yeah, I am kind of excited for a main event between the two of them, sort of, I guess. But I don't need to watch the same six-man night after night after night. I, I get it, you know? I know I get it. I get the shtick. I see what's happening.
1: Yeah. I kind of mentioned last week, kind of over. Yeah, these Evil versus Naito. Multiple matches, but I'll see, you know, get why they're doing them. And yeah, we're on the road to Jingu. So we'll probably seeing more of these over the next uh, couple of weeks till we get to that show. So uh, following that, we have our semi main event, which was a tournament matchup here, the Never Open with Six Man Tournament, a first round matchup. We have the Chaos team of Hiroki Goto, Tomohiro Ishii, and Yoshihashi defeating the Great Bash Heel team of. Hoki Makabe, Tomioko Hanama, and they were teaming up with the coach Riske Taguchi. Did you see this matchup?
2: Uh, no. Was there any interesting talking points?
1: Uh, I mean, overall, it was uh, you know fine matchup. Uh, the, the key here was um, Yoshihashi getting the win for his team. You know.
2: Oh, this was a tournament match.
1: Yes. Oh. <laughs>
2: Because of the people you listed, I was thinking it was uh just a regular undercard and I was like, "No, of course I didn't watch it like it's an undercard match." I told you before. Uh yeah, no, I did watch this match. <laughs> um you know, I don't I actually don't have any like crazy thoughts here. I thought um I was watching this with my girlfriend and uh when the Great Bash heel team came out, she's like, "That's a lot of old dudes. They're losing." <laughs>
1: Yeah. Um uh, yeah, it, it was fine. I mean obviously you had a lot of comedy with um the Gucci, you know, doing doing the uh Kokeshi headbutt with Hanma and you know also Makabe, you know, working his style and uh it, it was a fine matchup. But yeah, key... I
2: actually thought the match got good at the end. Like um I I've seen some of the ratings and I thought the ratings were actually a little low. Um, which I'm not surprised. Again, you know, kind of the same thing. We saw the Hanma match with um During the New Japan Cup, the one he had with uh, Hiromu kind of got – I think got really underrated. And I felt like this match, while it wasn't near that sort of level, I think it kind of got underrated too. I saw like a lot of people give it like just say three stars. I thought it was better than that. I thought it was a pretty good um, six-man tag. I don't have anything major to say here, but I thought everyone worked really hard. I thought they told a good story, and I thought the right team won. It was entertaining.
1: Yeah it was good for what it was It was an 11 minute match um, Didn't extend its welcome Because it relatively short Everyone looked good for the most part And so yeah nothing too much to complain about here And then also the story You know the big story in the tournament is Yoshihashi's on the quest to win his first ever Titles in New Japan So kind of a big deal that he got the win here For the team and you know, he was you know, Fighting really hard to advance In this tournament Yeah that takes us to the main event of this evening another first round matchup we had the way to the grand aces of Hiroshi tanahashi Koto Abushi and Master Wato accompanied with Hiroshi Tenzon they defeat the Suzuki gun team of Taichi Yoshinobu Kanamaru and Zach Sabre jr um, so I think uh, this match uh, started off kind of slow but it definitely picked up and built towards the end um, I, I loved um, some of the stuff between Wato and Kanemaru. And, you know, I think Dangerous Techers and Golden Aces have some good chemistry. And there's a lot of good uh, back and forth here. But the, the key to this matchup is so Tanahashi and Taichi were the, the two legal men towards the end. And, you know, Tanahashi, like every match lately, is just getting whooped on and getting beat. And then he's able to kind of pull off a flash pin with the help of uh, Kota Ibushi with a kick. But um, Taichi was very close To the ropes and it kind of looked like his Arm or something was under the ropes or he got To the ropes while Tanahashi got this Flash pin but ref didn't see It Uh, way to the grand aces Get the win here but Tanahashi spent it was a Flash pin he kind of Fell to the floor after the win Uh, And then Afterwards uh, Saber gets a heel hook On Tanahashi after the closing Bell and Taichi Um Goes outside after Ibushi uh, After a high kick and then um, S- Saber and Taichi they taunt Ibushi and they're Once again tempting him to turn on Ibushi and it was really great they did have The translations for this you know they were you know, Saying look at him you know he might have won But look how he is you know he's always In this position he's failing you And um, once again you know they're trying to get Koto Ibushi to join suzuki Goon, And um, Ibushi's like no I made my Decision I'm sticking with Tanahashi And abushi actually picks up tanahashi and and helps tanahashi to the back after this match
2: yeah so that was um interesting just like one of the things that like suzuki-gun were basically saying at this point uh the dangerous techers they're like you know this guy won like sure he got the fluke one two three but he's laid out on the you know on the the floor just like he is every single night that doesn't look like winning to me um but you know basically abushi came back and said like you mentioned that he made his decision that he's going to support tanahashi they pointed out on the uh commentary that he was finally carrying a uh weary and forlorn tanahashi to the back and in times past he kind of just went off ahead of him frustrated in this case he was supporting him but um my whole thing is, like, if I was Tanahashi, I'd be like, yo, it's it, it, it's way too late for that. You thought about busting my head last night <laughs> w- when they were holding me, and that, and, and you didn't – that was the time to be like, my decision has been made. I'm standing behind my boy. It took him a whole 24 hours before he decided to be like, nah, y- y'all crazy. I'm, I'm, I'm riding with Tanahashi. I'm riding with Ace. Man – you should have rode with the ace the night before. What the fuck's wrong with you, bro?
1: Well, you, you know, Kota Ibushi has um, you know an interesting uh, way of thinking and processing things. So, man, fuck
2: that. <laughs> we got heat, real heat. <laughs>
1: um, and there was a you know post match promo with this where um, you know Tanahashi was still crying and he was like, you know, abushi. He's like, I I I'm just not what I used to be. Like, I'm not the god that I once was. Um,
2: you have to be the god right, like it's,
1: like it's Now it's your turn to be the god And he's you know, crying And abushi's like don't cry He's like I'm not crying
2: <laughs> it, it was like that movie Juice He was like you're the juice now <laughs>
1: <laughs> and So yeah Nice little promo there And uh, Tanahashi and Ibushi Getting back on the same page For now For now <laughs> That we know of Yes um, So that takes us to Summer struggle of August 8th Which opens up with The bone soldier Taiji Ishimori Defeating Yoyomora. Um, and we had a question here from EMJ does PR, and he says, Um, Ishimori has made a number of comments about Yomora needing to choose a side, and most recently suggesting the two are linked in some way, and he'd always offer him advice. you have some tasty breadcrumbs. Care to give us your thoughts on this.
2: Uh no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would be lying if I told you that I knew something, but I don't really know anything, so I can't really say.
1: Yeah, I'm not 100% sure what the the relationship is or the backstory is with Ishimori and Yomora. Um, maybe they've crossed paths somewhere in the past before, or maybe it's something that we've missing with Ishimori. Maybe he's been I don't know, scouting Yomura, maybe he's trying to get him to join Bullet Club and be a Bullet Club young boy. Not 100% sure, and just maybe this is a, a, a storyline or, or something to do with you know your Mora and potentially have him you know become a quote unquote Bullet club young boy.
2: Well, you know, if you bring him into the bull club, then it's less, less likely that you're gonna have to fight this man when he's at his full power, when he's reached his final form. So that wouldn't be too uh, dumb of issue more because if I was him, I wouldn't want to fight you more either. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so yeah, trying to recruit the uh, young line here and get him on, get him in the black and white before uh, he becomes a threat. So yeah, that's that's the best guess I can get. I'm not sure uh, what what Ishimori's plans are here. So uh, moving on to the next match with Ishimori's Bullet Club brothering Gato and Yujiro Takahashi, they defeat the team of Gabriel Kidd and Yota Suji. So once again, you know, we talked about Kidd and Suji and their rivalry, and they've kind of been forced to team up on these tours. Uh, key in this match um, Gato as uh, using a belt To whip you know kid and Suji to tease Yujiro stipulation for the KO PW match like we said Earlier his stipulation is A lumberjack match where all the lumberjacks Will have belts and whip um, Either him or Okada Once they get thrown to the outside so um, you know there were spots here where um, Gato's using the belt on uh, Suji and Kid when the refs distracted, and then after the match, uh, Gato was whipping on these guys pretty good with the belts. And we did have a question here from Kevin from DC. He says, Is Yujiro Takahashi the luckiest guy alive, getting the push that he's getting due to COVID nineteen? He's got a fall guy in Gato, and he doesn't even need him that often. Is there a strange world where Shingo uh gets by gets by Suzuki and Yujiro challenges him for the never belt and Josh Smith goes, eh, it might not suck.
2: I don't know. What do you think? <laughs>
1: uh, I definitely think that uh Ujiro is um, definitely benefiting from uh the COVID era and with the limited roster and Okada needs some way to feed with out of the title picture. Um so, yeah, I do, I do think he is uh, very lucky right now. Um, but I, I I don't know if he's going to challenge for that Never Title. It it seems like, you know, they've been trying. That Never Title's been one of the key, you know, highlights in the last few months. And, uh, you know, with Shingo defending against like, guys like Show and Desperado and now upcoming Suzuki, I think it would definitely be a back step if Yujiro gets in there.
2: And so his scenario was Yujiro challenges against... Uh, Suzuki or against Shingo? Shingo. Why?
1: Just just based on how lucky Yujiro has been this whole run like the, you know after a beautiful Okada, that could be the next part of this his push is getting a, a never tile shot.
2: Yeah, I mean I don't think that's impossible. The only thing is uh it's not likely cuz I mean we've got G1 right around the corner. That's going to kind of tie up all the title situations and then we got a lot of great options for anyone other than Yujiro to potentially challenge for that title <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> coming out of the G1. So I think we can kind of avoid that.
1: Yes, I, I hope to avoid that. <laughs> uh, so moving on from that next matchup, we had Suzuki-gun Taichi, Yoshinobu Kamenamaru and Zack Sabre Jr. They defeat the team of Great Bash heel, Togi Makabe and Tomio Kahanama and Yuji Nagata. So obviously, you know the team upset that um, you know they lost to Way to the Grand Aces the night before. End up getting a little bit of you know comeuppance here and just getting a win over uh, Great Bash Shield and Nagata here. Um, then after this matchup, we get the announcement for G1 Climax Thirty. We get. Uh, the schedule they announce, you know, the the big dates and the matches, uh, you know, the, the the final matches and stuff like that. Well, not matches, but you know, the final nights and stuff like that. And uh, throughout the tour, so G One Climax Thirty is starting September nineteenth, and it will roll to October eighteenth. The final three nights will be happening in Rio Sumo Hall, and then they announced allegedly. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see what's happening. I know the cases. In Japan have um, Started to rise again um, So but as of right now That's the plan um, And as a part of the ongoing Coronavirus prevention measures There are going to be limiting the numbers of wrestlers Participating on the G1 Climax 30 tour So on B block Nights there will be no A block competitors competing And on A block nights there will be no B block, B block competitors competing Which means we're getting just tournament matches, there will, will be no undercard tags on these G1 shows.
2: That's good, because I don't watch those anyways. <laughs> <laughs> no, I usually do, actually. But, uh, I mean, hey, it, it worked for me during the New Japan Cup, so I will be comp- – especially – got to mention, they, they're talking about doing 19 nights in 30 days. Like, holy crap. I think part of it is like um, – it, they probably had difficulty actually procuring all 30, all, all 19 uh, locations within a short time frame, So they probably needed to do it as quickly as possible just because of, you know, scheduling issues. But then there's also the concern of, um, you know, what if this shit does get shut down because of COVID? So we, we might as well try to like, just, you know, knock it out as quick as possible before, before shit really like hits the fans. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, 19 nights, that's a lot, but if it is just all singles matches, fuck it. I'm there for that. Sign me up.
1: Yeah, actually, yeah, it sounds great.
2: <laughs> um, um, but that means, so if we have nine nights for each tournament, that means it sounds like we're getting 10-man blocks for each tournament still.
1: Yeah, so it'll be five matches each night.
2: Wow. I kind of thought that there's a good chance we might get reduced schedules, but I guess we could talk more about this as we learn more and more comes out because, you know, it sounds like some some people like your Will Ospreys and Jay Whites and things of that nature are probably coming back for the G1, most likely.
1: Yeah, and we did have a question here from Mr. ACP asking us about um, trying to put together our best 20-man tournament for the G1. I want to hold on this question for next week because next week's going to be a little bit of a lighter weekend let's give some time to kind of think about that and uh put those lists together
2: bro new japan's like the most wishy-washy like partner you've ever had you know like hot and cold like one week it's four show five shows in four days and it's like they're so clingy they're all over you and then the next week like you try you you hit them up with like the what are you doing and they they leave you on read like we don't have another show to like what the
1: 21st well there's, there's New Japan Strong This Friday so that's a, the one show We'll have to review but then there's not a main <sighs> New Japan show in Japan till I don't think until like the twenty six.
2: So like yeah like several weeks so, I mean it's, it's hot and then it's cold It's yes then it's no <laughs> uh,
1: so We also had a question here from Our user pc 91 do you think we see Some of the guys in back in time for the G1 I think we probably get Jay White What about the likes of Osprey
2: um, we don't know for sure. Uh, there was an announcement that he's going to be on a Rev Pro show teaming with Michael Oku around the same time. Um, so I don't know. I, like That seems unlikely to me, but it, I guess it's possible that he could come back, but he'll have to do the two-week quarantining, right?
1: Right, and there's still time. So that Rev Pro show is happening, I believe, August 24th, or August 23rd, one of those dates. So if okay. He, so there's still time for him to get to Japan, two week quarantine before September 19.
2: Well, you know, we'll find out pretty soon because they, I think, around the time of the Jingu Stadium show, or at least during that weekend with with uh, the different shows they're doing, we should probably be getting talent announcements, block announcements, and and everything.
1: Right, and uh, there was another tease from Jay White on Instagram. Um, Posting a picture at an airport floor Which looked very much like the Tampa International Airport floor And uh, with the date 829, Which is the day of the Jingu show So once again teasing that he might Be appearing in uh, New Japan very soon
2: Naito screwed Naito
1: (laughs) Yeah That was a nice little meme that popped up in my time hop From uh, last year's uh, G1 (laughs) Uh, But yeah I do think there's a good chance I think Jay White more likely than will osprey but like we said just depending on how things work out with the uk and if osprey can even get into japan i think there's time for him to quarantine so i think it's possible that we're getting osprey as well
2: bro right now to me jay white is like y2j circa 2009 save us jay white
1: <laughs> save us jay white <laughs> Um, and then question here from running user Asayo Jimbo. He says, had there ever been a circumstance where a G one winner finished with less points than his opponent in the G one final? If not, do you think that's possible? Envisioning a scenario where a wrestler from A block maybe gets undefeated with eighteen points while a wrestler from B block enters with the final with fourteen points, but then wins the final match because a block finalist still finishes the tournament. With more points to the G1 winner, 18-16, to 16, will that automatically generate a rematch even though the B-block finalists lost twice already?
2: Well, that's not how it works. Um, you know, you win your block, you go to the finals, period. It's not about who has the most points overall. Otherwise, they would go to a single-block tournament format, which they've actually done that in previous incarnations of what the G1, you know... What, what some of the predecessor t- uh, tournaments were. The G1 definitely has had, you know, I, I don't know for sure, like, who. I mean, I could, I, here's the thing, guys. I appreciate the questions, and I love the questions, and they're great. But, I mean, this kind of question is one where all you got to do is go to Wikipedia and find the answer. It's, like, going to be right there. <laughs> right. The, the one
1: that comes... It's not actually a G1, but I'm just thinking about last year's Best of Super Juniors. Uh, Shingo went undefeated, won his block, went to the finals. Will Ospreay did suffer, I believe, two or three losses, but still ended up winning the block and going to the finals, and he ended up beating Shingo. So Shingo had more points than him, dominated his block, but Ospreay won his block and was able to beat Shingo. So at the end of the day, Shingo still had more points, but like you mentioned, it's not about points in... Best super Juniors or G1. It's just about winning your block and then getting to the finals.
2: Yeah, I'm just kind of like looking right now at some of the tournaments. so 2019, the winner had more points going in. 2018, the winner had more points going in. 2017, they were tied going in. 2016, they were tied going in. 2015, um, tied. So, I mean, I don't... Maybe they haven't. You know, I, I would assume they're they were tied going into twenty fourteen. Actually, no. Um, yeah, the the finals of the twenty fourteen tournament. Who was in the finals of that
1: tournament? Wasn't that Okada and Nakamura?
2: Okada Nakamura was the final, wasn't it? Man, okay. Um. 2013, the finals, Tanahashi against Naito. Naito went in with 10 points. Tanahashi went in with 11. I'm pretty sure Naito won that one. So, yeah, there's your answer. Yeah, he did. So he went in with less points. Yeah, so, so, and I'm sure that sort of thing has happened multiple times. So
1: Right, yeah. It's, it's not as unlikely as you, you think it would be to, to happen.
2: Also, consider the fact that in the past there used to be a playoff. So you'd have the top two of a block. Face off against the other top two and different uh, incarnations of that, which kind of left we've had we've had G ones where the finals were fought between the top two uh, seeds of A or B block against each other. You know, it's it's weird like that. So yeah,
1: right, yeah, it's very similar to like we talked about on the final countdown series where we reviewed all the best Super Junior finals in that time period where they were doing that and where you would have like the A2 and A1 end up in the finals, or you have the A2 and B2 in the finals instead of the top two guys in the block. So yeah, a lot exactly. of, a lot of weird stuff like that's happened in the past of both of those tournaments. Um, so moving back on to summer struggle here, we had Riske Taguchi and Tenkoji defeat the team of Suzuki gun, Doki El Esperado and Mizuno Suzuki. Um, so the big thing here is we had a post-match promo where uh, Kojima says he wants to throw his name in the hat for the KOPW title, Desperado grabs the mic. So Desperado's been campaigning for KOPW on this tour. He grabs the mic and he says, "Hey, you think you can just you know throw your name in the hat? He's like, I've been campaigning for weeks now. Um, I'll accept your challenge. I'll face you in the KOPW. He's like, you know, you think your lariat's so good? You're you're a Stan Hansen knockoff. Your your lariat's weak. It's not real. Yours, you know." A gimmick. You're not a real, you know, Stan Hansen. You're a wannabe Stan Hansen, and, and I'm going to beat you. So, uh, Desperado accepts the challenge. So we are going to see Desperado or yeah, Desperado versus Kojima in the KOPW match. And Desperado has said his stipulation will be finishers only, meaning the match can only go to a pinfall if Kojima hits the lariat or if Desperado hits the pinche loco.
2: That's not what he said in the turn in his. Uh, in his promo backstage. I watched the promo, and he said, we will only be using our finishers to fight, meaning he can only hit the Pinche Loco as his only offensive maneuver the entire match. And um, your boy Kojima can only try to throw strong lariats and nothing fucking else. That's the whole match.
1: No, because he all he said, you know, he goes, you know, for example, if I accidentally low kick him low and go for a pin it won't count
2: now he said if i try to go for a low kick that wouldn't be in the spirit of what we're doing here i'm going for pinche locos only you hit me with that fucking arm that's the match they are literally only allowed to use their finishers finishers only if they use if they hit each other with with a boston crab i'm going to call bullshit and walk out on the show i'm going to turn it off <laughs> right then and there cuz that is not a finishers only match
1: I oh, don't know. That's not, not how I understood it. No, I'm just playing. Uh, but it's,
2: <laughs> I think I hate finisher-only matches. They're so stupid. Uh, there's not even a stipulation.
1: Well, in the SmackDown games, it used to be a, a stipulation you could do. Well,
2: that's so stupid. <laughs> um, you know, and here's the thing. Part of me is like, okay, with COVID, I, I like the idea that we're getting Desperado versus Kojima. That's, that's badass. That's a cool matchup. That's something I would love to see, and I'm excited for it. So that's one of those things people are gonna be like, see, this KOPW thing is a good idea because we're getting fresh, unique matchups. And then I'm like, yeah, but look at the the story they're trying to build. You have big arms. You fake Stan Hansen wannabe. Finishers only match. What? (laughs) (laughs) That's not good booking. That's not New Japan style storytelling. That's some weird ass like roughshod like short like cited like weird ass thing i don't even know what it is i i'm like dude they could have easily done this match between these two guys with a better story a better build and without the weird hampered like uh gimmicks like i, I hate KOPW. it's stupid
1: yeah this is really weird and yeah well, kojima hasn't said his stipulation yet but i'm hoping his stipulation ends up being better than desperado's uh stipulation
2: I think he was kind of alluding to what his might be, but I don't remember what it was.
1: Yeah, no, he he was saying himself in the prom backstage promos, but yeah, I don't think he like uh, solidified what his stipulation was going to be.
2: In any case, um, yeah, it's fine, but yeah, we'll move on. But yeah, interesting match. I I do want to see them wrestle, but I'm not a big fan of the stip. Yeah, I'm. Sure, we'll talk about KOPW here in a little bit.
1: Yeah. So, moving on, semi-main event, we had the uh, semi-final match in the Never Openweight tar- uh, title tournament. So, we had the Chaos team of Okada, Show, and Toriyano defeating the LIJ team of Bushi, Sonata, and Shingo Takagi, 13 minutes and 7 seconds.
2: Good match. Um, surprising finish. Uh, I think a lot of people sort of expected LIJ to maybe even be the favorites of the tournament, especially given the fact that they were the former title holders minus EVIL. Um but you know the storyline that kind of comes into play here has a lot to do with what's been going on between um show and sonata.
1: Right. And so we know that show and sonata they faced off during the new Japan Cup. Sonata defeated Show and you know Sonata was saying, you know, Show if you want to face me again, you gotta bring something different, which is why, you know, Show has been winning these matches with submissions and trying to up a submission game. And so we saw a lot of sequences back and forth between these two guys during this match. And then after the match, they were kind of pointing at each other.
2: Yeah, I also uh, enjoyed the brief moments that we got between Okada and Shingo.
1: Yeah, that was great. Yeah, I love any time in these multi-mans when we get Okada, Okada and Shingo facing off. When people
2: talk about like big matches that have never happened in New Japan that are kind of protected, and they talk about future Wrestle Kingdom matches... You know, I always think it's laughable when I hear, like, evil sonata, things of that nature. I'm like, guys, it's right there in front of you. One of these days, you're going to see Okada and Shingo in the Tokyo Dome in the main event. Mark my words.
1: And we will rejoice.
2: There's not a lot of things I'm good at on this show, but one of the things I'm really good at is predicting Tokyo Dome main events ahead of time. Am I not?
1: Yeah, you are. Hey, you predicted. It wasn't on this show, but it was. Before we even started this show, you predicted the six star match.
2: I did. I also predicted that we were gonna get evil, or I'm sorry, uh, Kenny Omega and Tanahashi way before it ever happened. I predicted that we we're gonna get Naito and uh, Okada both times.
1: And you predicted that Okada was gonna win that uh,
2: the first time. Yeah, yeah. So and, and I predicted that Tanahashi was gonna win against uh, Kenny Omega. So uh, I don't fuck around when it comes to these Tokyo main events, and I'm not saying it's gonna be this year. But I'm telling you, like, in the next year or two, because, you know, like, Shingo's not that old, we're going to get a Shingo and and Okada Tokido. Definitely. Because it's a really protect, either that...
1: Or it, or it could be G1 this year.
2: It could be a G1. That's the one thing that might wreck it. If they do it at G1, then, then, then forget what I said, but... To me, there's so much money in that match You don't do it at a G1 You do it at Tokyo Dome
1: Yeah, fresh matchup, been protected Yeah, it'd be great in Tokyo Dome
2: It's super protected
1: <laughs> um, Then uh, also, kind of story here We kind of see this feud with Yano and Bushi So we saw earlier on in the Summer Struggle Tour That was that one match where Bushi uh, pinned in That one multi-man so uh, Tor- right. Toriano got some revenge here. He tied Bushi's uh, mask laces to the barricade, and Bushi was unable to beat the count, so the Chaos team wins by countout.
2: Yeah, I, I, I'm a sucker for these types of finishes, and also, you know, you think about what happened during the New Japan Cup with Hiromu and Yano, and Yano got counted out due to shenanigans, and uh shenanigans were afoot here once again you know i think the master of the count finish has got to be yano <laughs> he beat john moxley with that last year he's beaten many a men with that in the past and uh he struck again here and the lij team you know they got beat but it wasn't like they got beat beat it was just uh they got yanoed
1: you know? right and uh there's a funny you know post-match scene of you know bushi kind of you know doing the uh you know on the ground, kind of, you know, crying of the loss, and Shingo's crossing his arms and has a, you know, pissed off face. You know, Shingo, you know, he thought he was gonna walk out, you know, double never champion again, and now they king lost. He wanna be the
2: king of never,
1: right? So, yeah, unfortunately, Elijay team's out of there, and the Chaos team advances.
2: And we are well on our way to Okada two belts because okada is going to be the six-man champion plus the lineal provisional king of pro wrestling champion even though he won't have a belt he'll be champion so two belts not two belts (laughs) double champion but only one belt
1: (laughs) so one belt double champ okada one
2: one belt double one belt one trophy okada
1: (laughs) Uh, so the uh, main event was the other semifinal match in the tournament. The other Chaos team of Hiroki Gotō, Tomohiro Ishii, and Yoshihashi—they defeat uh, the way to the Grand Aces Tanahashi, Kota Ibushi, and Master Wato once again. Yoshihashi gets the win. It's the karma on Master Wato and gets the big win for the Chaos team here.
2: Uh, so a couple of things I do want to say, Wato as cool as some of his offenses I'm starting to see some of these huge deficiencies in his work uh, the way like you know some people are very critical there's a lot of things that people are critical about Watto I wouldn't say I'm as critical about like say the look or the gimmick things of that nature but bro some of his work is kind of really sloppy
1: uh, yeah there were there were some spots that were a little bit missed here and there
2: not in this match every match You're right. In every single match, there's some spots here or there that are missed or whatever. And that worries me because Wato's not new to the system. You know, the character might be, but wato has been with New Japan for years. And I don't know anyone else that's kind of, like, making as many of those mistakes as regularly as him. And it does concern me. I'm not, like, writing him off, but I'm just saying, like, you know, I don't know. It's weird. Like... I can't imagine that if you put YuYi or Suji in this place that they're going to have this many mistakes. It's kind of weird.
1: Right. Well, one thing, too, Wato is doing more high-flying offense than he, than he had the, ever done before. You know, as a young line, he wasn't doing that kind of stuff. I mean, he was doing the trouble in paradise, but he wasn't doing corkscrew tornillos and yeah. all, you know, springboard European uppercuts. So I think there's but, still some offense that he's trying to get used to mixing with the New Japan style, maybe
2: but he was also in Mexico trying some of this stuff and he wasn't doing that so hot either. So (laughs) I don't know, man. I'm just, I just want to throw it out there. Like as disclaimer, I'm seeing a lot of shoddy work from him. Um, not, not like I shouldn't say a lot, but consistent shoddy work within his matches. Like he's doing a lot of good stuff, but then there's a lot of botches here and there and it's just kind of worrying me.
1: Yeah. So yeah, we'll have to keep our eyes on, uh, Mr. Uh, Wato here and see what happens With his performances going forward
2: I also think it's interesting that he Is sort of like the pin eater for the group I, I understand like the seniority sort of thing But it's like um, You know we've seen him Eat losses to guys like Kanemaru And now to like Yoshihashi And it's kind of just like It's interesting
1: Yeah well I mean I, he, he is a junior And he's you know Everybody else on the other team were heavyweights
2: That's a good point Uh, I don't know it's just it my concern is that he was gone for like two plus years and then came back and then is kind of like so low in the totem pole I sort of expected him to come back with a little bit more splash so I don't know I don't know we'll see yeah I have concerns about his work and concerns about the the booking as well
1: yeah Uh, but overall I thought it was a very fun main event and I thought some good back and forth I really actually enjoy this I think it's one of the top matches of the tournament um, it's kind of good back and forth here
2: Yeah I thought it was a good match um, I like the story that they're telling With uh, Yoshihashi Believe it or not uh, It's been one of the few things that's really kept me invested And once this was over And it kind of dawned on me that we're getting an All chaos final I, th- I was like pretty hyped for that
1: Yeah and um, The ending sequence here we saw Wato got stuck in a 3 on 1 situation uh, He got hit with the Ushigaroshi He got hit with Ishii's sliding lariat and then Yoshihashi hit him with the Meteora um, and then eventually ended up hitting him with the Karma to get the win here. And uh-
2: That's actually something that um, this team of Goto, Ishii, and Yoshihashi have been doing. Like They've got some really cool triple team sequence moves that I've never really seen before, um, which I thought was like kind of a big indication of things to come, but also pretty cool.
1: Yeah, they worked they gelled really well together. And they did that uh, that one funny spot where they all kind of like pound the guy all together like in a circle kind of thing. They've been doing that every match. That's kind of funny. But yeah, besides that, it's some really cool, like you mentioned, triple team maneuvers that all kind of really flowed well together. And this this unit just really worked really well together.
2: The one they do is uh Goto gets them up on his shoulder. Um, Yoshihashi hits him with a super kick. It goes into a Ushigiroshi. Then Yoshihashi hits them with the uh, meteora, and then we get a base, a basement, uh, clothesline from Ishii which it's it's pretty fucking awesome.
1: Yeah, there, yeah, their triple team combos are sick, especially that that finishing combo here that led into uh, Yoshihashi uh, getting the the karma and being able to pin uh, Wato. Yeah, after that assault, there was like no way that <laughs> Wato was gonna kick out after all that. Um. So, yeah, so once again, Yoshihashi wins again and gets a second win for the team. But the interesting thing here was post-match, there was a little face-off between Ishii and Ibushi getting each other's face and uh, end up, like, chopping each other and having a little, uh, you know, scuffle before they're pulled apart. Who was that? Ishii and Ibushi.
2: Okay. Um, Yeah, I didn't notice that.
1: Yeah, it was post-match. So, yeah, after they win, they're getting each other's faces and then... Um Abu or Ishii ends up like chopping Abushi in the throat and then like, they start like chopping each other and then Kanahashi has like pull abushi apart. So uh,
2: I mean that's that's like not even storyline, that's just old beef, like
1: <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, both of those guys are not in KOPW so I don't know if they're just trying to get some heat for a, a G one match or yeah, it's just like you mentioned, just kind of old beef and Ishii just, you know, wanted to rub it in Abushi's face that they lost.
2: Yeah, I don't know.
1: Uh, well, that wraps it up for that night. So then, we're we made it to the final night of this run here of the Summer Struggle Tour with the finals of this tournament. So this is August 9th, kicks off of Bullet Club Gato and Ujiro once again defeating a Young Lion team. They defeat Gabriel Kidd and Yu once again. Gato has the belt out here, looking um, the Young Lions to once again tease Ujiro's stip for his KLPW match. Then we move on to Toguchi, Kojima, and Nagata Defeating the Great Bash heel team of Togi, Makabe, Tomoko Hanma, and Yota Suji Then we have the LIJ team of Sonata and Shingo Defeating the Suzuki Gun team of Doki and Minoru Suzuki um, Note about this matchup here This was a re- I'm, I'm actually really loving Sonata and Shingo teaming together They've had some tag team matches here and there since um, Evil split off and I think they're a really solid tag team, but obviously the, the whole point of this match was to build the feud between Shingo and Suzuki, and the interesting thing was, as um, Sonata was pinning Doki, Suzuki was choking out Shingo, which I thought was a pretty <laughs> cool visual.
2: Yeah, and I've really enjoyed the post-match promos uh, that Shingo's been cutting on Shingo. Like he's, like, he's just probably, like, one of the best promos like in new Japan right now, uh, pro- like almost every year consistently. Like I know we, we don't really necessarily always understand what they're saying, but like when you go back and you rewatch what they're saying, like there's like nobody better than Suzuki in new Japan. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, so yeah. Also
2: but- I wanted to ask you, so if evil and Sonata are basically undisputed era, and then Shingo is the Roddy Strong of the team, are you basically saying that Evil is Bobby Fish?
1: Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and you prefer this combo much better than the Red Dragon combo?
1: Yes. I I, I would be down for a, a Shingo Sonata uh, tag title run.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's another thing I wanted to, to mention. So, before we finish this tournament, I think this tur- We're going to get to the finals here, and I thought that the finals were really great, but... I hope that this is the only tag tournament we get this year because this tournament had a lot of World Tag League energy for me. Like, good matches. We watched them, they happened. Until we reviewed them, I kind of forgot a lot about them. And long term they're not going to mean much. World Tag League.
1: <laughs> right. I think the only difference here is like with the shows, like we got more angles and promos that we would ever get on a World Tag League show.
2: Don't try to ruin my bit, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, and then after this match Once um, Shingo you know wakes up From getting choked out you know Suzuki's grabbing the Belt and officially challenges Shingo for the never title Shingo Accepts so at Jingu we will Have Minoru um, Suzuki facing Off against Shingo Takagi for the never Open week title
2: Nice yeah absolutely It's what everyone has wanted um, I will go as far as to say I think that's Probably the most anticipated match Of the card for me
1: yeah, and we'll, we'll run down the card here in a second, but yeah, I think that's probably going to be the most anticipated match for me as well.
2: Um, also, with just that simple match, this uh, is probably the best card we've gotten all year outside of Wrestle Kingdom.
1: Yeah. Uh, so moving on to the next matchup here, we had uh, Golden Aces, Tanahashi Nabushi they were teaming up with Tenzan and Master Wato. They defeated the Suzuki Gun team of El Esparado, Taichi, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, and Zack Sabre Jr. And obviously, they're continuing to build the feud with Dangerous Techers and Golden Aces. They're also continuing to build the Master Wato and Kanemaru feud. Um, big story in this match, after you know, the last two nights, Tanahashi's been missing the high fly flow in his matches. And he finally hit the high fly flow in this match. He got the big win on Kanemaru. Um, Finally standing tall after a match Instead of being laid out and on the ground um, And standing tall here
2: Listen to what you said Tanahashi Hit the big Got the big win over Kanemaru (laughs) What a sentence (laughs) But yeah uh, He stood tall They got a win It looks like they are well within their rights And on their way to getting Tag team title rematch against dangerous techers
0: Right
1: So then after that, we had um, Bullet Club team of Evil and Taiji Ishimori Defeating Bushi and Naito by disqualification Because um, during the match, we had Hiromu Takahashi making a uh, surprise run-in You know, Hiromu's been off this tour due to a shoulder injury But he runs in as uh, Dick go and um, Evil and all them were cheating and doing their thing And Hiromu came out to even the odds, Um, and of course the ref just happened to pay attention once Hiromu was in there, and uh, called for the disqualification, and the Bullet Club team gets the win.
2: Yeah, I call someone's in the pocket of somebody in New Japan because these refs let anything go, and then Hiromu shows up one time, and then they want to you know disqualify a bitch. Like what? What's going on? Who's getting paid off? Who, who's in whose pocket because this doesn't make sense
1: yeah is uh is marty asami the the nick patrick is he the the evil bullet club ref
2: he's danny davis bro <laughs> um yeah uh freaking hiromu comes back he's got new gear new pants new jacket new new uh kicks and uh You know, he looked pretty good. Uh, This was probably the most entertaining thing that's happened on the entire tour when it comes to Evil and Naito. And I'm definitely looking forward to uh, Ishimori and Hiromu. Uh, They obviously had that classic years ago at the Best Super Junior Finals, one of the greatest junior matches in the history of wrestling. And so uh, I'm looking forward to that match. And I've got to... Strong feeling Ishimori is going to take The belt off of Hiromu here So
1: yeah that that could be Interesting yeah we'll make our final predictions At a later point but yeah I mean It's not out of the, well, you know, out of the question For Ishimori to defeat Hiromu Especially since the last time they faced off Hiromu got the win
2: Yeah and New Japan is Notorious for their 50-50 booking
1: Yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, Question here from Kevin from DC so it looks like Dick Togo uh, white suit is here to stay Do you still feel like it's going to get Old seeing Togo come out wearing it On a regular basis
2: Nah bro His, his suit's raw <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't care about his suit the only thing I don't like is The thing he chokes people with other than that I love Dick Togo so
1: Yeah he has a note here on the weapon he says by the way The weapon that Togo uses to choke out opponents Is referred to as a I believe it's a Garrote and it was Popularized by The Godfather as an efficient way of killing a person from behind, hence the use.
2: Yeah, they killed uh, Luca. What's his name? God, I forgot his name. I think that guy was a professional wrestler, actually. Was he? Did, yeah. Did you ever see The Godfather? Yeah. Yeah.
1: But it's been I, a, it's been a while though.
2: Freaking a! What was his name? It doesn't matter. Uh, it'll come to me.
1: Luca Brazzi. Right, yeah, that was yeah, his name.
2: Yeah, Luca Brazzi was a professional wrestler. <laughs> and he was also an enforcer for the Columbo family. So apparently he was actually in the mafia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, he was a professional wrestler. He, also, he wrestled under the gimmick of the Zebra Kid. Not the zebra kid that wrestled Samoa Joe in the mid-2000s. This is a different zebra kid. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he was in the NWA. He wrestled Kansas City. It all corresponds and connects. All of it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, uh, moving on to the, yes, main event here. The finals of the Never Openweight Six-Man Tag Team Title Tournament. Chaos versus Chaos. Goto Ishii. And Yoshihashi, they do it. They defeat Okada, Show, and Toriyano. We have new, never six man open weight champions. Yoshihashi has won his first title. Um, I, Scott Rand on Twitter asked us to do everything we would see this day come.
2: Oh man! So this was. I don't want to say it was a surprise because I think while we were watching the tournament unfold, it kind of became very apparent that this was the way that they were going. Um, I was surprisingly happy to see Yoshihashi finally win gold. I think part of it for me is that it's the never title, like the never six man, so it kind of doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> um but you know, at the same time, I mean, th- if you think about it, how many times have we really cared about the never six-man openweight tag team titles? Like, these are pretty irrelevant belts in general. Like, I remember watching them at Wrestle Kingdom, you know, when it was Yano and the Briscoes, and it was just like an afterthought. Like, and the titles were pretty new back then. And I was like, oh, I get it; they're joke titles. <laughs> <laughs> And so this tournament and the little story that they told here with Yoshihashi is has kind of, you know, it, it added a lot of stakes to this tour, a lot of storylines, a lot of fresh matchups. So it's been good. And then to kind of see Yoshihashi get this moment, um, it was a good little story arc, actually. So, I mean, I was, I was happy. And then... You know, you kind of consider who's in the match. And I mean, it sort of was like headed by Okada on the one side. And it, you think back to the history of Okada and Yoshihashi. And I mean, the first night that these two guys wrestled one another at post excursion, um, you know, Wrestle Kingdom, what, seven, six? I don't remember. Uh, they wrestled against one another. And, you know, now we've kind of come full circle and you get that moment where Okada's putting the belt around Yoshihashi's waist. It was sort of, you know, kind of endearing. I, I liked it.
1: Yeah, definitely a great moment, like you mentioned. Yeah, they told a good little story here. I guess the only, I guess, complaints that I would have with the story is the fact that Ishii is the one that ended up getting the win here for the team and not Yoshihashi. Um, I think it would have been nice little storybook ending if he was the one that ended up getting the win here.
2: Uh, who who did you want Yosh- Yoshihashi to beat on the team? Um uh,
1: I mean he could have pinned Toriano. Nah. Or he could he could have pinned show shows a junior.
2: Nah, fuck that. <laughs> they're all higher than yeah. They're all higher than Yoshihashi. He he's been beating people. He beat a bunch of people during the uh the lead to this. He didn't need to beat nobody. Give that win to Yoshi Give that win to
1: EC. Yeah. It was, it, it was <laughs>
2: Bro, how dare you? <laughs> I mean, How dare you advocate for Yoshihashi over Tomohiro Ishii? I,
1: I'm
0: just saying. When
2: Rich, <laughs> bro, when Rich hears this podcast, he's going to fucking lose his shit. How I, dare you, Jeremy? I'm just
1: saying for the story they told <laughs> this weekend, it would have made more sense for Yoshihashi to get the win. Trust me, I love Ishii. How and, dare you? Sir. And actually, I, I love the interactions with Ishii and Show, and their closing sequences were great. Uh, So I really enjoyed seeing Ishii and Sho face off with each other there. Um, But, yeah, overall.
2: In this this match, the thing that really was compelling were the interactions between Yoshihashi and Okada. Because on the one hand, you got Okada, the best wrestler of a generation, not Seth Rollins. (laughs) (laughs) And then on the other hand, you got Yoshihashi, who's clearly the biggest liability on his team going head-to-head head and try everything Yoshihashi can. He can't put uh, Okada away. And then Okada, like, starts, like, breaking out, you know, wh- what's his – the paperclip, and he starts breaking out, you know, potential rainmakers, and you're just like – you're like, at any minute, if he nails any of this shit, it is over. <laughs> <You're right>. <laughs> <laughs> And Yoshihashi's boyhood dream is gonna be, you know, put on hold. So like, and that's the kind of thing you sort of expect when it when it's Okada and Yoshihashi. Plus, it's like, you know, death taxes. Yoshihashi never wins the title. LOL. Like those are things are guaranteed in life. So. Right.
1: Yeah. In that sequence, because there was a long sequence with Okada and Yoshihashi, and it felt like it was building towards the end of the match, and I was like, oh. Okada's oh, about to win the Never Six Man titles. Like I thought like it was gonna be a wrap for Yoshihashi. There was a long spot where he had him in the money clip and uh Yoshihashi was, you know, selling and fighting to get to the ropes and he just barely, you know, got his foot on the ropes in that in that sequence there.
2: There was also a moment where Yoshihashi got him in the butterfly lock and you know, as much as we complain about how bad the butterfly lock looks Okada did an exemplary job just selling the idea that he might tap out to it because he just like couldn't get to the ropes and he kept like he's so good like he made a really shitty looking move like actually seemed like he might lose to it which I knew he wasn't but I also kind of got nervous <laughs> <laughs> So it's pretty good.
1: Yeah, those sequences are good. Yeah, I really enjoyed their stuff there. Uh, and like I mentioned, the Ishii and Show stuff was really great towards the end of the match in their Yeah, Ishii
2: was putting work on Show, those chops to his throat and shit. Uh, One thing with this match, you know, what's nice about it is like, you know, the reality is there is a house style of how New Japan works, their multi-man matches, and it is a formula, and it's kind of what you see in almost every multi-man, six-man, eight-man tag, like they're kind of all the same that's like the dirty secret in new japan and the other dirty secret is they're all good you know people complain about the undercard tags in new japan but the reality is they're all really good but they're not great usually you know they're usually three-star affairs they're better than most of the tag matches you're going to see in all the other companies just across the board but they're not usually great and what they did here was they kind of did your standard formula but then they kept going and then they kept going And then they kept building. And they had a lot of backstory, a lot of interpersonal connections, a lot of great action. And they took something that was just a good match and elevated it to, like, actually being a really great match. And, um, yeah, this is one of my favorite tags in New Japan for the whole year.
1: Yeah, I really love this main event. I went four stars flat on here. This was a great main event, a great way to close off this tour. And, I mean, look at the guys you had in there. You have Goto, Ishii, Okada, Show. And I know we ragged on Yoshihashi a lot but you know his in-ring work is uh, pretty good um, and obviously you know you have the entertainment of Yano in there as well so I think all six guys just played off each other really well and there's a lot of great back and forth like we mentioned a lot of great great sequences um, yeah it's a great story like we mentioned Fokada and Yoshihashi in that sequence so yeah this was a really great main event
2: I hundred percent agree
1: uh, now we have some question here uh, Question from Rambo and Slam Pig. When the six-man tournament was announced, I thought they might be trying to make the titles relevant in the same way the never-openweight belt has been rejuvenated by Shingo. Given that Yoshihashi was on the winning team, I don't believe that to be the case anymore. What do you guys see for the future of these belts?
2: Um, I think that they're just going to continue to fulfill the same function they always have, Uh, just kind of be like a keep-busy, filler, you know, C-level tag team title i mean they're not super important but they're definitely more important now than they were previously but i mean how elevated can they be over all the other singles and tag team titles that are in the company especially now that we got the lineal provisional king of pro wrestling title on the way which is going to be just so great
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I think we kind of touched on it last week I feel like, you know, with all these Cork and Hall shows, they needed something To do that was different than The same old kind of multi-man you know Matches, and so doing this tournament Was a way to add something different To this stretch of shows here And, yeah, I think Like you mentioned, these titles are going to be in the same spot These are titles that you can use To main event a Road 2 show um, A small Cork and Hall show And a small tour kind of thing, like I I did not go into the expecting these tiles to all of a sudden, you know, main event, you know, a power struggle or something, you know. Yeah, no. Um, he also asked, considering we have gotten two New Japan Cups and a six man uh, tag tournament in pretty short order. And with G1 coming up also, do you think we will get a best of Super Juniors tournament squeeze in somewhere before the end of the year? I'll really miss it if not.
2: I'm, at the, I'm so tournamented out that I almost don't want one. Mm. But, like, at the same time, I'm like, well, it's super juniors. So maybe I can make an exception for that. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, bro, like, we don't even have a junior division this
1: year. You're right. I mean, there's scraps in Japan right now.
2: Like, at the end of the year, you know, we have our awards. We talk about best junior match of the year. I mean, I feel like we're gonna be talking about some young lions matches, talking about some Imora versus Gabriel Kidd or some shit as a, as one of the candidates. <laughs> 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 we're be talking about TJP versus the DKC over in uh, <laughs> Lions Break Collision because I don't I don't know I don't know what we, you know. There's no Super Juniors,
1: right? I mean, at this point, it looks like there's a better chance of a best of American Super Juniors of all the juniors that they're stacking up on New Japan Strong. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, so yeah, def- definitely a question Not sure what's going to happen there
2: Alex Zane, best of the Super Junior America winner <laughs> <laughs> he, gets a, he gets a challenge against uh, Hiromu Takahashi in the dome <laughs>
1: uh, Next question here from these are, Why did you do that? Bro, if you're Yoshihashi Are you even proud of winning the six-man belt? It's not exactly a sought-after prize
2: Bro I'm sorry, but I just have to ask you, how long have you been watching New Japan? Of course he is proud. We thought this man was never, and I mean never, touching anything that resembled gold. Like, my God, any, like you, there's no way that you could take a leather strap and attach any form of metal, whether it be silver, copper, tin, titanium, gold steel metal alloy i don't give a fuck what it is there's no way you could attach that to a leather strap and then hand that to Yoshihashi. this man earned his stripes this is the biggest this is the biggest accolade of his career ever
1: and this could be the only title he ever holds (laughs) i pray
2: to god it is the only title he ever holds it's the one thing when people (laughs) be like remember that time that he won the six man's (laughs)
1: <laughs> you know maybe his goal Should be to like try and become Like the greatest like six man Six man yeah. holder of all time The, yeah. the
2: greatest six man parti- uh, partic- <laughs> or Practitioner of all time <laughs> Yeah He's like a 20 time six man tag team champion
1: Yes that should be his goal He should just get like a different set of chaos guys Like every time And it's always like him and other two other chaos guys And he's like has held The six man belts with literally like every member of chaos Wow <laughs> <laughs> uh, Next question here from Red What was the uh, Was the finals the best six man Title match ever I gave it a 9 out of no. 10 And damn Yoshihashi Goto Ishii got some nice Combos together
2: Nah I thought there was a Better six man the six man tag That we saw earlier just this year during the Was that new beginning tour
1: You're talking about that was it LIJ and Chaos
2: yeah, a match ruled.
1: It was like what? Well, it was like Shingo, Evil Sonata against Goto, Ishii, and Okada? or somebody else, some other. I can't remember the exact teams.
2: It wasn't that, but it was something like that, and it ruled.
1: Yeah, that was awesome.
2: No, I don't think this is the be- the best six man tag
1: ever for the
2: Never builds, but I could be wrong.
1: But it, it still was a um a great matchup though,
2: yeah, I think it's my leading candidate for match of the month right now
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I think it is it was, well, there's no there's Suzuki Naga no, no we're in August, that was yes, yeah, we're Su- in August, that was July, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, this could be the leading candidate, uh, next question here from our YouTube. I still
2: like the, I like the Nakanishi retirement match better, by the way, oh
1: my God. <laughs> I went back and looked at my rating. I gave that match four stars, also. So I got this. Yeah,
2: they're about the same. But that match, that match rules. You don't remember that match ruling?
1: Yeah, it was it was fun, but
2: no, it 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 ruled ass like (laughs) (laughs) warhorse.
1: It it was way better than the (laughs) warhorse.
2: The (laughs) warhorse.
1: Oh. Next question here from Ready to Grunty Dodds. Milano AT was wiping away tears with joy when Yoshi oh, yeah. uh, Yoshi-Yoshi won. Given his public breakup of evil, do you think he'll become a stand for loose explosion? Will, <laughs> <laughs> Will he hold up a curtain rod when this dude makes his entrance?
2: Oh, man. To steal a, a phrase from uh, Damon McDonald, maybe he'll bring out a bag of socks. I don't know, man. <laughs> that Yeah, he might be a, a big fan of... Uh, Yoshihashi of tacos going forward. I don't know.
1: <laughs> quite a quite a drop there.
2: <laughs> is uh, it? Is it a drop? Is Yoshihashi that much, bro? Yoshihashi's a much better in-ring worker than Evil.
1: Well, who's who's a double champion right now?
2: <laughs> that don't that don't that don't mean anything. Uh, bro, as as much as I have always disliked Yoshihashi for his look his attitude, his promos, and everything like that, his just general aura of existence. He's a much better wrestler than Evil. Always has been.
1: He is, but he he had no gimmicks for for Milano to, you know, use. he, he, needs, I know. he needs some gimmicks. He's, I'm just saying, like he, it's he's not start- a
2: drop. Like 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 Milano following Evil then following Yoshihashi, is it really a drop? Is it I don't think it is.
1: I mean, K-Fabe kind of is. I mean, he was always in positions higher than him. F-
2: fuck K-Fabe. <laughs> k <K-fabe> is dead.
1: <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, next question here from Kevin from DC. So, it looks like they gave Yoshihashi an extended sequence of Okada during the never-six-man finals. It went on for at least six minutes before Sho and Ishii were able to take back over. Any chance this leads to a Yoshihashi... Push in the fall, especially with many of the talent absent, does, this, does the possibility give? Does this possibility give you a loose explosion and a craving for tacos?
2: Uh, I mean, I at the very least he'll be in the G one. He usually isn't the G one. He just wasn't last year due to the uh, you know increase in talent level, not talent level, but the increase of great talent that they had to showcase and the limited number of spots in the G one. But I think. I could say pretty firmly, I don't know for a fact, but I think there's a very good chance he actually does end up in the G1 again this year.
1: Yeah, I think he will be in G1 again also. And hey, don't knock the Yoshihashi in the G1, man. Yoshihashi has some pretty good matches in the G1. I'll never forget that Nagata match, which was like the first ever Yoshihashi match I'd ever seen at the time. And like, that match ruled.
2: He's got a really good match in Nagata. He has a really good match with, um, Michael Elgin and another one with – um, who does the King Kong knee drop? Makabe. I'm getting tired. Yeah, Makabe. Him and Makabe from like a year or two ago was really good as well. So, yeah, he always has one or two really good G1 matches.
1: Yeah. Well, that wraps up the Summer, uh, summer Struggle Tour. Now we're going to uh, run through some news items here. Um, So like we mentioned, um, you know, throughout this tour, there was a lot of build-up for the KOPW first-round matches, so we got the official announcements of these first-round matches, which will be happening on August 26th, we'll have Kazuchika Okada versus Yujiro Takahashi, like we mentioned, Okada's stipulation is a three-on-one handicap match, while Yujiro's is the lumberjack match, where the lumberjacks have belts also, it will be Satoshi Kojima versus El Esparado. Like we mentioned Esparado's stipulation is the uh, finisher-only match. Kojima hasn't picked his stipulation yet. There will also be Toriyano versus Bushi uh, for a first-round matchup. Uh, no stipulations have been announced yet, but my guess would be that Bushi would pick a no-countout match or a uh, false count anywhere. Something to do with countout since he got tied to the barricade and you. Uh, They're Hashi. doing a
2: hog tie match.
1: Oh my! God. <laughs> uh, so we'll see what their stipulations are going to be, and then the final first round match will be Show versus Sonata, which they have been building up uh, through this tour as well. And it seems like Show's uh, stipulation is going to be submission, since he's been gaining submission wins and talking about you know wanting to tap out Sonata. Um, not clear what Sonata's stipulation is going to be, um,
2: bro. So far, two things I'd like to point out. Every stipulation that we're seeing being um, offered up as a potential are things we've seen in New Japan throughout the years and really are not wacky or anything like that. They're all just like very limited variants of a standard rules match. Right. (laughs) Um, Which kind of makes me feel like, okay, hear me out. Let's say this was Okada's idea for real. And they were like, all right. Okada wants to do this, so we need to make him happy, so we're going to do it, but we don't really want to do it, so everyone's going to have just some basic-ass, like, stipulations (laughs) that really don't change anything, (laughs) you know? And it's like I said last week, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. If they do this and they don't do any actual, real stipulations, then what was even the point, you know? Right. But on the other hand, you don't want to see them do all those stipulations, because why waste money-making gimmicks on something that's wacky that's not going to actually draw money like it, it, and you know not make and and also break with the tradition of new japan general and just you know turn it to like kind of a joke sort of like ddt so that's why i've never been a fan of this tournament to begin with but uh you know we were gonna bear i was gonna bury it one way or the other but the angle this week is why the fuck did y'all do this if you're just gonna do a bunch of regular-ass Inoki stipulations? Because these <laughs> are all Inoki-era stipulations. Every single one
1: of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't get what they're doing here. Uh, but speaking of wacky stipulations, we do have a question from Reddit user, Viking He says, uh, NJPW Underground for a KOP stipulation. Deep down inside, you know you want it.
2: I have finally got around to seeing Raw Underground and I can firmly say with a great confidence that WWE has proven once again that they suck and are the worst at whatever it is that they try to endeavor. They can't even do shoot style, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I've only seen clips from the Raw Underground, and yeah, it was not not good.
2: <laughs> there was like 120 camera cuts last night for like a six or seven-minute segment.
1: Yeah, I saw a- the— uh, 120— Camera cuts, bro. What the fuck? Yeah, I saw the Shayna Basler her segment. Yeah, it was a cut, 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 cut.
2: Oh yeah, those two girls are. Those are Florida indie chicks. Uh, one of them's from like Chase and Rants' school, and the other one's from like uh, I forget whose school it is. The, the one of the guys here in Tampa, the guy cha- the, the guy that uh, trained uh, Nova. I forget his name.
1: Oh, P O W. Frank Frank Reyes. Yeah.
2: Yeah, the POW school. Yeah, those two girls are both Florida chicks. Like I like we know them. Yeah, that's yeah. Raw Underground, yeah. Dante Dante Marquis was wrestling was yeah. in Raw Underground last night. He yeah. got fucked up by uh, uh Baba Tunde. Baba Tunde. <laughs> Whatever his
1: new name is. Yeah, bro. Yeah.
2: It makes no sense. It, it's stupid.
1: Yeah. Uh so moving on, we also got some <sighs> more matches announced for the summer struggle in Jingu on August 29th. So we already knew that our main event was going to be Evil vs. Naito for the double titles. We already knew about uh, Hiromu defending against Taiji Ishimura for the junior title. Um, it's made official. We are getting a tag title rematch. The Dangerous Techers are going to defend against Tanahashi and Kota Abushi. And it's also been made official that Shingo will defend against Minoru Suzuki. Uh, we had a question here from Reddit user Hawaiian Punch BV. says, Shingo Takagi recently expressed an interest in blowing someone up at Jingo Stadium. Do you think New Japan will put Suzuki in a current Blast death match? Would you rather have it just seen uh, Shingo Takagi versus Minoru Suzuki in a regular match and New Japan bring in an outsider like Jun Kasai or Mahashi Takeda for the death match? Either way, I just want to see a death match. Shingo again in his <laughs> o- Onita gear and barbed wire baseball bat.
2: He so said, either way, I just want to see a deathmatch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or I want to um, see... Oh, he says, I want to see deathmatch... My bad. He wants to see deathmatch Shingo again. And he's oh, I gear sure. and, and barbed wire baseball bat.
2: Um, yeah, I don't think it's happening, to be honest with you. Um, like, I don't know, man. Usually, guys that are not deathmatch guys, when they have those types of matches, they don't wear their regular... Like, you know, they're not going to wear their regular gear. Like, you know, keep in mind, like... Suzuki wears literally just trunks and boots and nothing else no tape no elbow pads no knee pads real shooter Uh, and this man's not going in with just that much like flesh into fucking barbed wire or into explosions or into thumbtacks or whatever like you know it's just not happening like you know the founder of Pong (laughs)
0: right
2: (laughs) is not going to have an exploding barbed wire time bomb death hell match or whatever. So right. I and, don't think it's happening.
1: And Chingo's comments, I believe they were in Tokyo sports. He did not mention anything about doing a, a death match on NJPW and any of the promos backstage or in the ring. So I think it's going to be a regular singles match. And if they were doing an exploding death match, wouldn't that kind of have to be the main event? Because they're going to blow the ring up?
2: No, because the ring doesn't Have you ever seen one of these?
1: Um I mean I've seen like clips and stuff. I don't think I've seen a full.
2: So they like claim that the ring is going to blow up but it never actually does. What it normally is is like they have a uh timed explosion on the outside and then really they t- they have a bunch of like powder.
1: Right, a big like cloud of smoke, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's just a big cloud of smoke and the people sell it but the the ring's fine.
1: <laughs> right, but still like that kind of match. I feel like that would that would have to like, I will not just stick an explosion match in the middle of a card. Like, that would be the main event.
2: I would. Because, <laughs> not in the middle, but maybe, like, the semi-main event. Because then you can, like, okay, hear me out. For instance, like, when Taz and um, Bam Bam Bigelow went through the ring, it was, the, it was not the main event. Like, they went through the ring, and then there was a giant hole in the ring for the rest of the show. And the other wrestlers had to kind of work around it to sell the idea that anything can happen and it's all unexpected and unplanned. So, I mean, this one would be even easier. It's just like, there's a bunch of dust everywhere. You just have some guys come out and, you know, they do their two sweep, sweep forever, (laughs) sweep up the ring, you know, and then good to go. And then, you know, the next guys can come out and, you know, work their shit. You know, I would love to see Naito and evil try to follow an exploding ring death match. It'd be great. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh,
2: <laughs> They're mediocre asses. <laughs>
1: Next question from Kevin. <laughs> Next question from Kevin from DC. He says Do you see Viro Suzuki winning the title from Shingo Takagi at the Jingu Stadium? When they inevitably announce the match, I am torn because, of, on one hand, I kind of think Sugi's had the belt enough times that I'm not really interested in him holding it again. But on the other hand, it seems time for Shingo to move up the card, especially with half of the roster stuck overseas. It just seems like a matchup where the loser comes out of it worse from, worse from more than a kayfabe standpoint. Your thoughts?
2: Why would they be worse if they win?
1: No, if they lose. He says it's a matchup where the oh. loser comes out worse from a more-than-a-k-paved damn boy.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I mean that's always the case, though. I mean, if wins and losses matter, if you lose a title on a big show, then you're worse off. At the same time, there's always the argument, if you think about it. I mean, it's Minoru Suzuki. He's, like, one of the most over guys, and a loss isn't going to kill him. His credibility He's able to get his heat back almost uh, immediately, intrinsically. And Shingo's kind of got an aura around him, and I mean, he was fine after he lost the uh, Super Juniors, and he was lost. He was fine after the losses he took in the G1. I mean, both of these guys know how to get their heat back. So either way, they're. I think either one of them is going to be fine. I never bet against Suzuki when it comes to title matches. Yeah. Even when it's against Okada. Even when it's against John Moxley even when it's very likely that he's not going to win, just because it's Minoru Suzuki, and he can fuck up anybody. And, like, he's kind of the smart bet, you <laughs>
1: Especially with the Never title, like uh, Kevin mentioned, you know, or Suzuki's held the title several times. Is you know, been a king of Never. And so he could easily, yeah, win this match and hold the Never title so you can move Shingo up. And who knows, maybe not, not things happen. Maybe Shingo wins the G1, so maybe you want the Never title off of him so he... He gets a briefcase.
2: That's a possibility. There's also a possibility that maybe they want to build something long-term between these two guys. So they have Suzuki beat him so that Shingo has something to kind of like aim for and they do a long periodic program between the two of them or vice versa, you know, maybe Shingo beats him and now Suzuki wants revenge. You know, um, Maybe this is just a one-off blow-off. I, I really don't know. There's a lot of things they could do. But um, you made a good point. It's the Never title. They bounce that title around quite a bit. It is sort of like the third belt, fourth belt in the company. So, I mean, Shingo's had a pretty – he's had one of the longest title reigns ever in that title's history. I know a lot of that's due to COVID, but uh, it's true. <laughs> I mean they could easily lift the belt Off of him and he'd be fine he's had some good Matches with it already
1: yeah So also announced We have the the fail four way For the provisional KOPW championship match so The
2: lineal provisional <laughs> KOPW Title Yeah. So Championship
1: the winners of those matches We announced earlier will face off in a Four way and the winner will be the Provisional lineal KOPW champion
2: Without a belt <laughs>
1: um, And then also we will have Master Wato taking on Yoshinobu Kanamaru.
2: Yeah man I mean this, uh, this card You take a look at Everything they've built since uh, Dominion um, These are all the Storylines these are the major storylines This is a huge blow off Just before we go into G1 season And um, this is the most important card of the year outside of Wrestle Kingdom. I mean, this is kind of filling that Dominion void, that King of Pro Wrestling void that we normally have this time of year. And um, I'm a big sucker for outdoor stadium shows. I always have been. And I'm really looking forward to this
1: show. Um, So we had a question from JTom416. He says, Hiromu, Shingo, and Naito, who's going to have the best performance at Jingu?
2: Um, I mean, it's sort of hard to, like, you know, bet against Hiromu at this
1: point, right? Right, it's also hard to bet against Shingo, too.
2: Uh, not for me. Hiromu's been, been out working Shingo in my book since he came back.
1: Right, but, I mean, Shingo still has incredible matches, and in an ever title match with Shingo, I'm like, I, I think it's gonna a toss-up for those two matches to be matched tonight. night.
2: It is, but uh, I think the smart money is with Hiromu.
1: Yeah, probably your safest bet. Yeah, I don't know. I have a hard time picking between those two. I'm, I'm going to say Shingo.
2: I'm not having a hard time. Hiromu Takahashi B. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: then we have some news here about the Jingo Stadium show. This comes from The Observer. So it says, they said it looks like they're going to do uh, 30% capacity. For this show which would be around 10,000 tickets With about 2,000 of those tickets Priced at $188 The other 8,000 uh, priced at one hundred three fifty. So in theory they could do That million dollar gate that they were hoping To do for the Madison Square Garden Show, the Wrestle Dynasty show
2: I mean that's If that's the case that's pretty impressive And I think you can get away With it because it's an outdoor show Distanced so I mean yeah, that's not a bad way to go.
1: Um, further news here. Uh, Harold May did an interview in Weekly Toki, Weekly Toyo Kaizai uh, Publications and uh, talking about how the pandemic affected New Japan in the business. Uh, he ordered that 50% of New Japan revenue is live ticket sales, and that merchandise at the events is a large percentage as well. Um and he says that they, uh, they're considering on building their own venue with a capacity of 3,000 attendants, which is bigger than Cork and Hall. He said it's been the dream of New Japan. He said that they find that right location, they can build it within 18 months. Uh, regarding New Japan world numbers, he said that they did drop down to 90,000 during the months of not running shows, which did hold up better than they uh, thought. Um, they they are now back around 100,000 since uh, they've restarted, broken down about 60,000 in Japan and 40,000 outside Japan.
2: Yeah, I think um, it's very interesting. Um, there have been reports over the years that there is a concept or an idea that New Japan might potentially want to have their own venue space. And in the past, you know that sort of concept wasn't something that everyone did or needed. But you kind of look at what's gone on with COVID, and you know how AW has been lucky enough to have you know like QT's training center and also like Daly's place. And then you look at WWE and their performance center, um, and you kind of see the the necessity of something like this. Plus, with them being a live touring business. I mean, the cost of a venue has to eat a huge part of your profit margin, especially in a populated area like Tokyo. I know Cork and Hall is a famous and revered place, but I mean, for um, and I I don't think that means they'll never run Cork in going forward. I mean, maybe who knows? I don't know how the how Tokyo Dome would really take this sort of thing, but um, if they're able to sell more tickets at a reduced rate in a controlled environment that they own, that seems like a win, win, win for me. I don't know.
1: Yeah. It's definitely like a great situation to have, especially like you mentioned in this COVID situation where, yeah, if they had their own building, like they probably could have started doing shows earlier and, and also not worry about traveling and stuff like that. So yeah, I think it would be great for them to have their own building. A bigger building is bigger than Cork. And so you can, once again, live event business, you can get more tickets in the same city Um, With that venue So we'll see if that ever Ends up coming uh, to proficient Down the line Um, In other news Togi Makabe will be Shooting a major movie In the coming weeks and as a result Will be absent from the forthcoming Events uh, starting at August 11th live event In Osaka So Make Makabe going to be a movie star um, and last thing here um, So on the August 9th Cork and Hall show um, There was a beta test For the hashtag NJPW chair tool Using buttons on smartphones Fans could count along with the referee Chair and send their encouragement during Strike changes um, This beta test will take place only, took place only On August 9th And New Japan will be considering it for further use Based on feedback from Sunday's event um, now I didn't really notice any difference with this. I don't. I didn't really notice this app being used during the event. Did you?
2: Yeah, I didn't think that they were already using it. I thought that I didn't. Reading's your friend. I guess I should have read this, but um, I thought that they were doing it in the future because I didn't notice anything about them using an app
1: at all. Yeah, I so thought they were yeah, going to be beta testing it that Sunday. So. Yeah, so I'm not sure what happened with the test or how it went or if we just weren't hearing stuff come through. I don't know. So it'll be interesting to see if they uh, end up continuing to test this app and using it in the future. So we have a, a couple quick questions here and then the recommended match of the week, and we'll wrap things up here. Um, so a question from Red Easer Viking Pain. He says, Who has taken advantage of their opportunities the most during the pandemic, Romu or Sho? For me, I, I think I'm going to go with Hiromu um, You know, Show's done great as well You know, has, has stood out a lot in the New Japan Cup And his matches with Shingo But I just feel like Hiromu um, has really just been elevated to a next level And has had really great matches with Ishii And a lot of, you know, Hanuman, a lot of heavyweights in the New Japan Cup And you know getting a double title match against Evil um, I think he's been great in every opportunity he's had
2: I will actually say, show personally, while I agree with you from an achievement standpoint, Hiromu probably is the correct answer, you know? Mm-hmm. I think from a fan perspective, and granted, there's no way for us to really know the answer to this because this is, given the current climate, there's no way for us to uh, gauge who's drawing or. Who's really getting reactions, or what the fan perception is, or anything like that. But because of the matches with Shingo, and because of what the storylines that they're doing now with Show, even if from a quote unquote accomplishment standpoint, it doesn't match up to what Hiromu has done. He has been elevated, I would say, to a level where he's being seen as being comparable to heavyweights, being seen as someone who can stand up on his own, who a year ago that would be unimaginable and i think for a guy like hiromu it, it, it the jump wasn't so high for him because he was already such a superstar already such a draw that like it was completely conceivable that this could happen for him but for show it's kind of an astronomical jump and he's done it you know st- you know stunningly so yeah I, w- I would actually argue show personally I think he's taken the most advantage Yeah,
1: that's a great argument and a great point especially also with you know Yo being injured now and he's going to get more single opportunities in the future Yeah, I definitely think yeah, there's definitely an argument for uh, Show for being the one taking advantage of the opportunities over Hiromu like you mentioned Yeah, Hiromu would have probably gotten opportunities like this at some point in the future Um, Then he says, lastly, would you risk your life to go to see a Fozzie concert? If yes, why? If no, then how big of an idiot is Chris Jericho for holding an indoor concert with no mask and no social distancing distancing in the middle of a pandemic?
2: I didn't think it was indoor. I thought he was at Sturgis, which is an outdoor thing.
1: Yeah, I thought it was an outdoor thing, too.
2: But uh, I completely agree. I think it's extremely stupid. I mean... When you look at what was going on in Sturgis, I mean, uh, you know, my apologies to anybody that is a bike rider (laughs) who maybe you know loves Sturgis and was in attendance, but I mean, we we're pretty clear on our feelings here. Like, we think that public safety is one of the first and foremost things. It's like you got a bunch of people. Doesn't matter if it's outdoors or not. You got thousands of people close proximity, no protection, no distancing and um we were in a group chat recently just talking about the stuff with uh fozzy playing at sturgis and um you know there there are people that were making arguments about like say hey he's a grown man he can do whatever he wants to do those people can all do whatever they want to do and i don't really agree with that but they were like you know at the end of the day he's gonna go to work you know get tested and if he's you know Cleared, then send his ass into work, and I was like, "Well, a no, <laughs> because we do happen to know that the sooner that it is that you become, uh, like, um, exposed to COVID." Um, and contract it the harder it is for you to actually test positive for it so i mean there's always the chance that you could actually have it and get false negatives right because there there hasn't been a long enough incubation period but you could still be infectious so i mean you could be carrying it and spread it that is one of the risks of professional wrestling um, and you want to mitigate those risks and attending something like this is not a smart idea um, it, it, in fact it's irresponsible but the bigger risk let's say chris jericho didn't contract anything he is completely complicit and you know someone who is actually yeah complicit in what will undoubtedly result in god knows how many people actually getting this thing and we just saw what happened with kamala kamala died from covid uh, you know, the numbers are astronomical in the U S and people want to wonder why they are. It's because of this kind of shit. Like it really is. And uh, I know people are tired of it. I know people want to move on with their lives and all that. But like, dude, the reality is I hate to be on a soapbox, but if we would have just handled it the way that the, all the literally not just one or some, but all the other countries <laughs> in Europe and in Asia the way that they all handled it, then we'd be done already. But instead, we're like the laughing stock of the world, literally. And it's just going to keep getting worse because people keep doing shit like this.
1: Right, yeah. Couldn't say it any better. Yeah, I would not risk my life to go to a Fozzie concert. And I actually do like a lot of Fozzie songs. But yeah, this is completely stupid. And yeah, there should have been a better care taken here. I
2: mean, it shouldn't have happened.
1: Uh, Right. But I'm just saying, like, if it was at least, you know, required math, something, you know, total distance, you know, have some kind of protocols. But, yeah, I don't think it should have happened either.
2: I I don't think for this type of event there's any way you can really have those type of protocols. Like, I think concerts in particular, and I'm a musician myself, and I love music. But, I mean, how can you have a concert unless, you know, unless, like, you're on a big screen and it's, you know, like – concerts just seem like one of those things you can't really do right now
1: right uh next set of questions here from uh, howard Schilling. he says is it possible that some guys might become a little overexposed with a limited roster if so who
2: is it possible that people are becoming exposed
1: is it possible that some guys might become a little overexposed with, with a limited roster
2: I would say no, because we're not getting a lot of singles matches. We're getting mostly tag matches. I think if anything, the company's reliance on tag matches for better or for worse is getting expo- overexposed, but uh, there is no individual talent that's getting overexposed. And the only guy that's getting overexposed in the company right now is evil. <laughs> <laughs> but that that's a totally different thing altogether. But, I would say he's getting exposed for sure.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, the, the tag formula has definitely helped New Japan, you know, keep singles matches fresh. So while we are getting a, a lot of multi-mans and a lot of the same multi-mans on some tours, um, I think overall, you know, the singles matches won't get overexposed and those will still be fresh. Uh, he also asks, also limited selection to those who have actually worked shows since New Japan came back. In y'all's mind, who has benefited the most? Who has benefited the least from the return
2: I don't understand the question
1: He's saying so Since New Japan's come back out of everybody that's been Wrestling on the shows who's benefited the most And who's benefited the least So
2: uh, The person who's benefited the most Is evil And the person who's benefited The least is me because I had to watch <laughs> Evil <laughs>
1: Yeah, from from a kayfabe standpoint, you could you could say evil. Um, we, we just talked about Show and um, Hiromu and the other question. Uh, those are two guys that definitely benefited a lot um, from the comeback. Yeah,
2: I, I would say people like that, like Show and Yo. Other people, like maybe say Yuji Nagata. Some people that would have been utilized differently or underutilized who've gotten more exposure uh, and opportunities. They've kind of benefited. I don't know that there's anyone who hasn't. Benefited
1: Right I can't think of anybody who's benefited the least Because I feel like you mentioned a lot of guys are getting More exposure I mean, Even you know guys like Gato And Giotto are getting matches and Being involved in programs and like Even like
2: U-Giro, right? Um, I think the guys who are not Benefiting are the guys who can't be there Like your Will Ospreys and Jay White's things like that
0: Right
1: uh, Last question here from At Oscar Rooney on Twitter if you were to make a new version of the WCW stable, the Filthy Animals, using using NJPW wrestlers, who would they be?
2: God, who was in the Filthy Animals, bro?
1: Wasn't that, that was like Mysterio and Conan and Kidman.
2: I, I feel like there's a lot more people than just them.
1: Maybe it was. Those are the only three that um, I remember. You remember
2: right? Conan, Kidman, and
1: Mysterio, and that's it? Yeah, maybe maybe there were there were more. I, those are the ones that are coming. I'm to gonna
2: me. go. I'm gonna go take a look. So the, according to Wikipedia, Conan Ray Mysterio Jr., Billy Kidman, Juventud Guerrero, Eddie Guerrero, Disco Inferno, Tigris and Tori Wilson are the Filthy Animals.
1: Yeah, I don't remember <laughs> the rest of that stable at all. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, yeah. I, I was not really watching WCW uh, in, at the end of 99 in, in past that, so I really didn't really see much of Filthy Animals, so.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you'd be pretty much right in that Conan, Mysterio, and Kidman were like the main people for the majority of it, uh, although Kidman left for a while and was sort of replaced by Guerrera, and then... Kind of came back. Like, I don't know. I never really liked the Filthy Animals, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, I wasn't really watching WCW, and like, honestly, I really don't know. Like, I saw some of their matches, but yeah, I really don't know, like, what they were really about.
2: I liked when Mysterio and Kidman were a tag team uh, in, like, '99 or something, and they were, that was really good. But, like, I don't know. Filthy Animals were, like, I guess they were cool for the time, but, like, they were just in such a shitty part of WCW. Um, okay, so we're supposed to make new filthy animals? Yeah. Alright, so. Um, they kind of feel like they're just L.I.J. already. That's what I
1: was, <laughs> was going to say. I was like, yeah, it kind of sounds like L.I., like, <laughs> almost like a monopolist.
2: Alright, so my Conan is Naito. My Rey Mysterio <laughs> Jr. is Herero My Kidman is going to be uh, Sonata. And my Eddie Guerrero will be Shingo. Um, and then my disco inferno will be Bushy. Bushy.
1: <laughs> and I'm done. Uh, and then we'll steal. Um,
2: For Tori Wilson and Tigris we will take Miho
1: Abe and, and, Peter, and Peter. Yeah. <laughs> filthy animals. There you go. Los Ingo Bernabélez de Filthy Animals. <laughs> um, last thing here recommended match of the week. So last week, your recommendation to us was the IWGP heavyweight title cage death match with Takayama versus Chono from Osaka Dream Night 2003, the Konami cage match. Uh, I watched this match this weekend, and the first time I've seen this match, and it, it was quite the visual. Uh, <laughs> uh, crowd was hyped for this matchup, uh, they popped huge for Chono. They popped huge for like the lowering of the cage, um, you know. Throughout the match, the match was kind of pretty slow. There's a lot of brawling, a lot of knee lift. Um, they teased a lot of cage spots before they would even actually do one. Uh, the crowd, you know, would pop huge anytime they would even get close to the cage. Um, there was somebody from uh, Chono Stable at one point that was trying to climb the cage and get in. Um, Takayama that was,
2: that was Tenzan.
1: Was it? I know. I saw Tenzan at the end, like cut a promo, but I guess maybe it was him that was climbing. Um, yeah, Takayama was in control for a, a large large portion of this match. Bust Chono open. Um, there was this one uh, weird spot where, like, Chono eventually when he came back would go to the outside. He started climbing the cage and like made Takayama climb up too. When they were like brawling on top of the cage, um, and It would keep falling down and he would keep crawling back up and uh challenging him to go up go up to the cage and fight. Uh eventually the action goes back in the ring. There's a lot of submission work here. Chono's working over, you know, working the STF, um, to try and get a win here. And apparently it's the rules where you had to win by uh ten count. Um No, see
2: I thought it was, but then if you notice that they started doing pinfalls as well.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there were there were Well, there was a one spot where um so Takayama chokes him out and he gets a visual pinfall. He laid the o- he laid over him and like did like the three count, but nothing happened. And there was another spot where he, um, he did like a huge. He did like three back suplexes, then the German suplex, and he did like the Chris Jericho stand on you pinned, um, but it didn't count as a pin. And he just waited for the count. Yeah, I don't. Th-
2: I think that's because standing on someone's chest doesn't count as a pinfall. But there were pinfall attempts. Gotcha. If I recall correctly, I could be wrong. Um, part of the story here, though, is that these two had faced previously uh, on one of the big shows, and it had ended in a double KO. Mm. And so that was kind of the reason why I think they were both going for the knockout here.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. But yeah, uh, interesting match, interesting spectral, spectacle seeing... um cage match in new japan and the cage you know it was kind of hell in a cell style where there was space around the ring there was no roof but it was definitely a you know wider room cage there um interesting to see i don't know if i would ever watch this match again but it it was uh you know cool seeing a cage match in new japan
2: what did you think of the finish when um basically that chono was just like getting destroyed by Takayama, and then um President uh, Seiji Sakaguchi Comes in and calls the bouts off
1: Yeah that Point was like that happened I was like What's going on here like pre- Chono's pretty much like dead to rights anyway Like he's getting choked out he's getting like Dropped on his head all the time like Why couldn't they, he just lost straight up Like why do they need to like call it off They need to protect
2: him from himself
1: <laughs> Yeah <laughs> I guess yeah Chono Would have never quit and so he was Keeping uh, getting uh, damage.
2: So, so are you saying that you're uh, not excited to see future uh, cage matches in New Japan Pro Wrestling?
1: Um, I mean, if they're laid out like this match, I, I don't know how how much I want to see it.
2: I thought this match had some some very some positives. I didn't love the match. There's definitely some uh, issues with it, but there were some things I liked about it. Uh, but I I didn't love it overall personally.
0: Yeah. But, but
2: I, I do not think for, I, a historic, for a historical perspective, because we're talking about um, gimmick matches and everything of that nature, I felt like this was an important one for you to see.
1: Yeah. Well, i, I seen it. <laughs> 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 All right. And now it's uh, my pick for the recommended match of the week. Going to get us, you know, start us getting us in the mood for G1. So. Oh, I
2: thought you were going to give me another gimmick.
1: No, 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 no. We're. <laughs> Tired of the gimmicks. We're going to get plenty of, <laughs> plenty of gimmicks with KOPW. Um, so I recommend our match of the week is the G1 Climax 24 Finals from six years ago. Kazuchika Okada versus Shinsuke Nakamura, August 10th, 2014.
2: Okay. Yeah, that's a great match. So um, I, I, I don't know if I like this match better or their... Because the reason I got confused earlier in the show is because I know they also had a block final then, uh, during G125, so and I get those two matches confused. Um, and this is the one – Okada beats him this one, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to seeing that.
1: Yeah, I have not seen this match before, and so that's why I picked it. And
2: Oh, c- see – I thought you were picking it for me and I was like I was like, you know I've seen like most of the G one match.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is this is more for me.
2: <laughs> I didn't realize you're picking it for yourself.
1: <laughs> and you know, we do have some, you know, listeners that have kind of jumped on um in the recent years and might not have seen this match too. So I just think it'd be a good match for everybody. Even if you've seen it already to go back and rewatch and, you know, just ready for G one.
2: I would I think they've only ever had two singles matches during and both of them were during the G one. Um so I would recommend, you know, if you have time, go ahead and you know we're not going to be having that much, uh, you know, New Japan in the next few weeks, anyways. Uh, maybe go ahead and watch the rematch as well because it's really good.
1: Nice. Well, that's going to wrap things up for this week's episode of Keeping It Strong Style. Next week we'll be back to review the second round of the New Japan Cup USA tournament and. In- cover any news I think we'll be doing some uh, previews for uh, KOPW so it'll be a fun show if you enjoyed today's show please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo make sure you connect with us on social media on Twitter I'm at Jeremy L. Donovan the show is at K.I. Strong Style you can follow us at Social Suplex on Facebook we are facebook.com slash Suplex. you can join us in the wrestling sports circle Facebook group facebook.com slash group slash wrestling sports circle on Instagram. We are at social suplex on Reddit. I am the pro black guy. Y'all just keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at social suplex.com. You can check out our discord server. The link for that discord is in the show notes of this episode. Make sure you check out all the other shows on the social suplex podcast network on Sundays. We have one Nation radio hosted by rich ladder and James Boyd. On Wednesday, we have the Rookie and Clive Wrestling Show from Scotland. Every other Wednesday, we have our podcast dedicated to independent wrestling, Grown Men Watch This Shit, hosted by Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryan. On Fridays, uh, Gate in the Ring is going on hiatus for now, but we are planning on launching a new show on Friday here on the network, so stay tuned for that. Uh, and then on Saturdays, we have All Things Elite with Floyd Johnson Jr. in Austin. So don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review, and we will catch you next week. On Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. It's your bond.
2: Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.